Hello, my name is Joe Fricky, and welcome to the first ever episode of What We Would Have Done, a spinoff of the movie Change Up, where my co-host and co-creator go back and look at the episodes neither of us competed in, and we talk about, well, what we would have done. Before we get any further, uh, my co-creator and co-host, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Johnny Dupe, as Joe said. Uh, we're the co-creators of this show, and we haven't competed in a little while because we're kind of trying to get some new faces. Um in so this week we just thought hey let's throw something together and kind of go over some stuff we uh would have done in our previous ones like the like the title shows so it, it was pretty fun and it's not as uh strenuous as trying to pitch you know seven new movies yeah yeah we only had to pitch eight new movies and uh anyway so <laughs> okay yeah i guess you're right about that yeah, but so we had yeah. more rules to choose from because it's two episodes so it, yeah. it's not like we were shoehorning in like three tough fucking ones to do no 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 yeah so basically what we did is take the rules and movies of two episodes we didn't compete in and make the best pairing we can then we uh wrote out what we believe the best four pitches would be from each episode and we're going to share them on here um so i guess i'll read through the uh johnny do you have the rules or i do so so first of all we're starting with an episode who, who competed in this episode so this episode was uh, Bobby versus Tristan, and it was basically a match. They were both uh, fully defeated. Both of them were looking for their first win in this episode. Got it. All right. So um, this was uh, uh, still when we were doing nine before we changed to seven. So our nine movies for that episode that we're looking at are Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989, uh, The Shit Show Cats from 2019, uh, The Exorcist from 1973, the Fast and the Furious from 2001, Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from 1989, the classic Adam Sandler joint Jack and Jill from 2011, um, and then Superman the Movie from 1978, and finally uh, To Kill a Mockingbird from 1962. So those are the movies that we're doing, and the rules that Bobby and Tristan had to choose from, and the ones that we are choosing from as well are one must be made into a Pixar movie, one must include Charlie Sheen. One must be as problematic as possible. One must include Harley Quinn. One must be a Guillermo del Toro movie, uh, which you'll see that rule came up twice here. Um, one must uh, use the cast of a sitcom. One must only use Middle Earth actors. One must be set in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And one must have one actor playing every role. So those are... Those are uh, what we had to choose from. So what Joe and I basically did is t took what, like four, four pitches and wrote them out fully. And then kind of for the rest of them, just have like little descriptions of maybe of like what we would have paired and maybe like a direction we would have went. All right. Yeah. We got a live comment that says, uh, you are way louder than I am. So. Oh yeah. I'll put um, my mic back. You sound fine on my headphones. Yeah, my for whatever reason my headphones are working, so I'm just uh, I'll move this. I can't really move it closer. It's like already on my face anyway. So you gotta you gotta wear it as a mask, Joe. Yeah, go full coronavirus. Go. <laughs> yeah, there you All go. Right. I'll just talk louder, I guess. All right, yeah. Johnny, want to give the description of that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. So, um, do you want? Is that what the first pitch you're doing? Yeah, I figured we would just start and go alphabetically down. That works for me. Um, let me. Oh, I have the wrong thing pulled up. There we go. 
Nope, still the wrong. This is what happens when you have fucking eight word documents open. All right, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, got an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's about two seemingly dumb teens set off on a quest to prepare the ultimate historical presentation with the help of a time machine. Sorry, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, directed by Stephen Herrick. So, Joe, what did you do with your uh, well, Bill and Ted's Excellent thinking, Adventure? Uh, the competitors that match, Tristan and Bobby. Tristan made his a Pixar movie, and he kind of did his where he had uh, his characters go to different movies like Star Wars and everything. And Bobby uh, put Charlie Sheen in his movie, and he cast Charlie Sheen. As like Socrates, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember Charlie that. Charlie Sheen and Socrates. And... Uh, yeah, that's basically what they did. And I didn't really write out a full pitch for this because this wasn't one I was super passionate about. But what I would have done is I would have basically did exactly what Bobby did and I would have cast Charlie Sheen as just someone in history. I was th- I forgot that he cast him as Socrates and I was thinking I might go Socrates. And when I was watching part of the episode back today, he cast him as Socrates. I'm like, yeah, that's basically what I would have done. He made yeah. it a little more political. He made his more about like the civil rights movement. I don't know if that's what I would have done, but... Yeah, I would have yeah. been Socrates. I what I um I basically thought they both had pretty good pitches on this one. Bobby, I think his tone wasn't the greatest for a Bill and Ted's movie, but I remember his rule use was good, and I believe Tristan won this point um with the Pixar movie because I like that idea. He brought in former Pixar characters and stuff. So this was another one I uh I don't have a full pitch for, but my idea for this was um turning it into kind of a DC movie through history and uh, Bill and Ted are just like two kids who find a, basically a time machine and Harley Quinn sneaks into it. And it's like them with Harley Quinn going on an adventure, seeing old DC characters you can bring in. Like, you know, there's all the old school green lantern and flash and everything and kind of go through the times and see all those characters. That That's kind of where I went with it. Um, I was glad I didn't have to make a full pitch for everything because I don't know where I completely would have went with it, but yeah. that was my baseline idea, but yeah. I thought they did a good job. So I didn't want to put in the, uh, you know, full effort to do a pitch over when I think they did as good of you probably could have done with a, with a good classic movie. All right, so uh, next we'll move on. I got to keep switching documents here. We have Cats, which at the time I did this, has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, which seems outrageously high. Um, It's uh, about a tribe of cats called the Jellicles. uh, Must decide yearly which one uh, will ascend to the heavy side lair and come back to a new Jellicle life. Uh, it stars Judy Dench's Human Hands, and it's directed by Tom Hooper. If you can call it directed by, so that is um, Cats. And uh, again, this is one like Bill and Ted, which I think is a classic movie. It's tough to go with because it's so good. Cats is one that I didn't want to write a full pitch for because it's so bad. Um, Tristan, Meyer Tristan, says, Cats needs no changes. Actually, you know, I agree with Tristan because my pitch for Cats is I'm going to make it as problematic as possible by literally just making the same movie that came out. (laughs) So that was my rule usage for that. I left it uh, for Tristan and it's problematic, um, less so because of like political or social reasons, but more because it was insanely problematic making the movie. They had a complete problems on set. They had time restraints. 
Um, they had a terrible cast. And then when the movie came out, it wasn't ready. So I went with that direction with problematic as possible and just said, we're just going to make the same movie that came out already. That's Tristan's favorite. So that's without my direction. What did you do with cats? Please tell me you did not write a full pitch for cats. I, I mean, I'm, I didn't set out to write a full pitch, but I will say Tristan Hughes, Guillermo del Toro completely wasted Guillermo del Toro on this. Yeah. Movie. That was a terrible decision. High art. Bobby went full Pixar and just tried to make his a Pixar movie. I don't really remember what he did, but Bobby he made it. it. He made it real cats, like it was just like kittens and shit, like, yeah. and it was instead of weird uh, people, yeah. cat creatures. So I didn't write out a full pitch for this, but if this was a movie, like if I this was one of the ones I picked or I was in this episode, this is still exactly what I would have written. Uh, this movie sucks. Every version of it sucks. There is no universe where this movie doesn't suck. You might as well steer into the skid and make it interesting and have the movie written by, directed by, and starring Tommy Wiseau in every role. And that's the rule I would have used, is I would have put one actor in every role, and that actor would have been Tommy Wiseau. And that's what I've done with this movie. Yeah, that's. I feel like both of us, there's no way to make Cats interesting. Not just the movie, but the play. I mean, it probably works better on Broadway, but it's not meant for cinematic enjoyment, Cats. So... I uh, I concur with your with your let's make it as uh, badly entertaining as possible. So yeah. I agree with that. All right. So you want to move on to the uh, to the next movie? Uh, the Exorcist. Yeah. Yep. We got The Exorcist next. Uh, the Exorcist uh, came out in 1973. It's actually a pretty low percentage, an 83 percent. I'd expect like a 99 or something for The Exorcist, just because it's such a classic. Yeah. I um, that in the episode too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still surprised every time I see that. So it's about um, a 12 year old girl gets possessed uh, by a mysterious entity. Her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her. It stars Linda Blair and Max von Sydow, directed by William Friedkin. Um, so. That uh, is is The Exorcist. So, Joe, what did they do with it, and what, did, or what are you doing with it? So, uh, Tristan did actually a really interesting pitch because he put Harley Quinn in The Exorcist, and she's the one that gets possessed by a Joker-like demon, and that's what changed her into Harley Quinn. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's a really good idea. I like the idea in the comics of Joker having an origin story that's multiple choice. I don't know why Harley's can't be the same way, why hers has to be the same every time, so... If that was something that the comics took, I'd be down with that. And he won. And Bobby's, I don't remember much about it, but I remember his uh, had the rule of using Guillermo del Toro as the director. Yeah, and I think this yeah. more like Supernatural too. I can't really remember. I could be wrong. But so it was it was something like that. Film. All right, what do you, what do you got for us? So my director is going to be Mike Flanagan. Uh, okay. Haunting a Hill House, Doctor Sleep, uh, Haunting a Blind Manor, which just came out. One um, of your favorite working directors. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's my favorite horror director right now. Uh, so my pitch, oh, and my rule is I set this in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. There you uh, go. A young girl, Reagan, finds a golden ticket to visit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory during a contest. When visiting the factory with her mother, she becomes possessed after trying a new candy from the South American jungle. They were warned not to try. Willy Wonka must bring in an exorcist to cure the child. Meanwhile, the child is eating various candies that feed the demon and give it various powers it uses to terrorize Willy Wonka and the Oompa Loompas. In my version, she would replace Charlie Bucket, and there might be a scene where we watch Charlie Bucket at home watching the kids enter the factory on TV. Uh, we still get glimpses of the other kids from the movie during the tour. So there's, she's still going to be with like Mike TV and Augustus Gloop and all of the other kids. She's just basically replacing uh, Charlie Bucket in the tour. 
Okay. And my Willy Wonka is going to be Ewan McGregor. My Reagan is going to be Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project. Uh, her mom, Reagan's mom, Chris McNeil, is going to be Victoria Pedretti from The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor. And she was also on You on Netflix. And then my exorcist is going to be played by Henry Thomas, who works with Mike Flanagan a lot. And he's most known for playing Elliot in E.T. There you go. All right. So, yeah, what I what I do um, and I did a pitch with uh, the Willy Wonka rule, but I I chose closer to what I did with Jaws, where I made it. So you're not like recasting Willy Wonka and stuff. I think you can kind of go either way with it. Um, So I like your use of it. I like your choices for for who you cast. My question on it is what's like the tone of your movie? Is it closer to The Exorcist or is it still like comedic like Willy Wonka? I would say it's more closer to The Exorcist and more closer to horror. I would say it's one of those movies that starts off very light and it's very comedic. But then like once the demon possesses her, there's like a tonal shift in the movie and it becomes a lot more darker and a lot more serious. Makes sense. That'd be a, it's kind of throw people off if they were like, hey, come see this Willy Wonka movie. And then they were like, oh yeah, also a possession movie now. (laughs) Just scare all the children. Um, I didn't write out much of a pitch of this. Uh, I think The Exorcist is a really classic movie. Um, So what I kind of did with it was I want to kind of go a different way. I want to make an Exorcist movie, but more of a parody of it. So I use the cast of a sitcom and I just cast all the actors from Blackish. So I would do them and have like the two young kids get possessed and both of them. And then, um, you know, have uh, the parents and everyone try to freak out trying to, uh, get rid of this exorcism and make it more of a comedy, but not as like terrible as like some of the Wayne's brothers movies where they did, you know, a a parody of it, but have real comedic actors do a funny version of it. Because I think when you go with the exorcist or a movie, that's like really good. You either have to go very close to the original or some like completely different direction. And I think you did that. Um, And then, so I kind of did the same thing, made it more of a funny version yeah. Um, of the exorcist because I think Anthony Anderson dealing with the two like demon children would be really funny. I would watch that. Yeah, and also going back to cats, we have another live comment. Uh, Tristan says uh, there were holes in the original cut of cats that were edited out at the last second. If I was making it problematic, I'd include not just buttholes but all forms of genitalia. Oh yeah, we're definitely going cat genitalia and buttholes for sure in the problematic version. So it's literally just cats, but instead of just human hands, it's uh, human schlongs yeah. on these cats. I don't know what the classiest way to say that was. So I went with schlong. Um, all right. Anything else you, you have to say about the exorcist? No. Well, I want to know if you were to tear my exorcist apart, what would you do? If you were to, If you were fighting me, what would your big complaint be? My complaint with yours would be kind of like what I said with mine of – if you're going to go the direction you went, I think you got to either steer more into the horror and not set it in the chocolate factory or make it more of a comedy and um, set it in the chocolate factory. So I think my argument towards yours would mainly be, I don't think you chose the right director for setting it in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. If you wanted to just remake the exorcist into modern times and modernize the horror because the horror in the original one doesn't completely hold up. It's not like a scary movie if you watch it now. It's just a well-made movie. Um, I think setting it in chalk, the chocolate factory and choosing a director that makes it more comedic, I think yours would be stronger for it. Um, 
But I mean, I like your pitch, but that's where I'd go if I had to argue against it. Yeah, because I could just say, well, I'm making it a horror movie. Like, it doesn't need to be comedic just because Willy Wonka's a comedic movie. I'm setting it in the factory. I'm not, you know, that would just be my argument against that. Yeah, that 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 one would be a tough one to fight, especially if I did my cast, because I, I think yours steers more into like what The Exorcist was originally, and that seems to usually be what the judges like. Like when I still think I don't remember if I was fighting you, maybe I was when we did Back to the Future. I think my pitch was stronger, but yours won because I it was more of a comedy, like the original one. So I was the judge on that one. I don't remember. No, because you it, we were facing each other, I believe. Um, right? That was we the Chadwick Boseman one. Yeah. Um, we had to star him. So I liked my pitch, but it was so different than the Tony, the original. I think that hurt me. I think that's what would hurt me in our fight with The Exorcist yeah. if I went a comedic route and you actually stuck with a horror movie. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, you know, your defense to that could be easy because you're like, even in the original Willy Wonka, it has one of the scariest scenes of all time in the boat, you know, in the tunnel. So, like, while I could try to fight you in that direction, that'd be the direction I went. I don't think I, it would hold up if you just took me down on a couple points. So yeah. I think that's a good pitch. Um, all right. Next up, we have the Fast and the Furious. Not the remakes, not Fast and Furious, not Fast Five or any of these things. It's uh, the original one from 2001. Um, it got a 53% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's about a Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor must decide where his loyalty really lies when he becomes um, enamored with the street racing world he has been sent undercover to destroy. Stars Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, directed by Rob Cohen. So, um, Joe, what what did our competitors on the original episode do with Fast and Furious? Okay, so uh, Tristan used the cast of like Middle Earth. I remember he had Orlando Bloom as his Brian O'Connor. And that was, and I remember his was like big, like the plot of his was like very big and very actiony and kind of fit more with the tone of the more recent Fast and Furious. And then Mm -hmm. Bobby used Harley Quinn in his movie and like he had Harley Quinn and the Joker. I remember Amanda Seyfried was his Harley Quinn uh, and Lickie Stanfield was his Joker and Brian O'Connor infiltrated a gang ran by the DC villain Gearhead and then Joker and Harley Quinn were part of a different gang. Yeah. And so that's what they did with it. And okay. uh, basically what I did is I used the same rule as Tristan did. I would have set mine. I didn't write a full pitch, but I would have cast mine with Middle Earth actors, but I would have kept it more lower level, more kind of in the tone with the original Fast and the Furious. And I would have just moved it from LA to London. That's what I would have done because it's going to, I mean, since it's Middle Earth actors, it's mostly going to be British actors. So I just would have yeah. set it in London. Makes sense. I I also don't have a full pitch, but um I I wanted to go a, di- a different route with it. So I use the rule of casting one actor in every role, and that actor is Vin Diesel. Because <laughs> I feel like he has such a, like, big ego about these movies where he's so mad that, like, The Rock is a big star now that they hate each other. I think Vin Diesel, if it would be, like, his wet dream to be the only person in a Fast and Furious movie and just remake the original one as every character, I, I think that um, would be... So terrible, it would be fun to watch, but also um, Vin Diesel would definitely want to make that movie. And he would probably sing at some point in it because that's what he does on Instagram now. So that's that's my Fast and Furious movie. I, I, yeah, yours makes more sense for like the movie, but I don't care about Fast and Furious in any way. Like I, I had to pitch it once and I made it um, 
or I had to pitch Jurassic Park, I guess, and I made it Fast and Furious, and I put, you know, dinosaurs and Velociraptors as a car gang. So I think that's the direction you need to go. Fast and Furious, I think if you pitch it, anything to do with it now, you have to make it ridiculous. Otherwise, I'm just not interested in it. Um, but... <laughs> Tristan Meyer says, Vin in every Fast and Furious role is a great pick. He is his entire family. Exactly. It's just like a whole conversation. It's like the Batman and Robin scene where they're all looking at each other awkwardly, but it's Vin Diesel doing that with three other Vin Diesels. And, and every time it cuts to them, they go, my family. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's I, my my pit. that's what i would have done with fast and furious i i did the opposite of you one time when i had to set a movie in the world of fast and the furious and it was the disney channel original movie motocross and i did the opposite where mine was like super like low level just like yeah. people on motorcycles yeah and, and you won that because i thought yours did a good job of since it was um a prequel yeah, it was a prequel, so you stuck more of the tone of the original one. I liked that because if it was like this r- big, ridiculous one, um, like movie, and it was a prequel, it wouldn't make any sense for you know yeah. the next movie to be more down to earth, and they're not flying cars off you know helicopters or airplanes to hell to fucking go down to mountains and stuff like crazy stuff they do. So, all right, um, any other comments on Fast and the Furious? No, except for there's no way they're stopping after 11 like they announced they would earlier this week. Yeah, that's BS. I mean, they, they might stop the series. Yeah, um, we're definitely getting like Hobbs and Shaw too. Yeah, we're going to get the Hobbs and Shaw franchise. We're going to get spinoffs. Like it's going to be Fast and Furious Presents for like the it's next like, gonna be like a ludicrous, like 20 years. A ludicrous Tyrese Fast and Furious show on like yeah. HBO Max or something. Yeah. Um, all right. So next we have, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off came out in 1986, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's about a high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school. Despite what the principal thinks of that starring Matthew Broderick, uh, Alan Rock and Mia Sara, Mia Sara, uh, it's written and directed by John Hughes. So that was the um, original Ferris Bueller. I think Ferris Bueller is a, is a classic that does hold up. Joe, what did our, our combatants do? I'll go first because uh, I have a real pitch for this, but what did yeah, they do not, with this? Okay. Uh, yeah, Tristan uh, put one actor in every role, and he picked Tiffany or Timothy Chalamet or Timothy Calamay, as he said a lot during his pitch, which confused yeah. all of us. I wasn't on that episode, but I was like in like in the back area running the computer at the time, and I – could not figure out who the fuck Timothy Calamay was. Um, yep. And then Bobby set his in the world of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. So instead of running around Chicago, they were running around Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And yep. uh, Tristan won. Interesting. Because uh, I feel like I remember Bobby. I had a correction of like where he could have went with his. I liked his pitch like idea, but then it wasn't um, like, I don't think the pitch sounded too interesting and, yeah, Timothy Chalamet, weird, uh, weird choice for that one. You know what? I actually, what I think I did on this one, I think I might have let Angelica choose it, and she chose um, that because I couldn't decide. Um, so I I have a pitch on this, and I think it um, it's not like anything crazy. It's nothing too different from the original one, but it's more about the cast and the rule and updating it. So. My uh, rule is I'm casting Charlie Sheen 
Um, my director is Gene Stubnitsky, who did Good Boys. My Ferris is uh, Gaten Matazaro, Matarazaro, who's Dustin in Stranger Things. Um, uh, my Cameron is Wyatt Olaf, who is Stan in It. Um, my Sloan is Thomasin McKenzie. She is um, Elsa from Jojo Rabbit. Um, and she's in a few other shows and movies too since then. Um, and then my economics teacher, originally Ben Stein, who does the Bueller, Bueller, that's going to be my Charlie Sheen role. So, mm-hmm. like, it's a callback to the original where Charlie Sheen had a cameo in it as the kid in the police station. But this time he's that role. I think if you have the rule of Charlie Sheen, anytime I'm the judge and that rule pops up, if you have him in a big role when he has to actually act, like you lose because Charlie Sheen can't act anymore. I feel like he's like well past any of that, but I think just throwing him in in a little cameo works. It's kind of a shout out to the original. And then my Ed Rooney, um, I want a kind of a different direction, but I want Zach Galifianakis. I, I feel like he could be like the dry humor um, and uh, be good as the principal trying to find him. Yeah. The tweaks that I'm making to it, it's going to be set in modern day. It's going to be set in LA instead of uh, Chicago. So they're going to go around L.A. and things like that. And then um, my update to it is the humor is updated. That's why I picked the director of Good Boys. So it's a lot of the same type of humor in Good Boys. Uh, maybe not as, like, raunchy, um, but just kind of modernize it because uh, a lot of 80s stuff, it's still, like, when you watch it now, like, I think it's funny. But if you showed it to, you know, a 12-year-old now, he's like, this isn't funny. Like, I don't get it. Um, and then I think the biggest change to it is – you have Ferris really trying to do a day off when it was easier in the eighties. Cause you have the one scene of him at the baseball game and they hide when the camera cuts to him. But in this, they're going to be trying to avoid cell phones. They're going to be tracked. They're going to have to find different ways around those things. And I, I think that um, it could make it more interesting and kind of relevant to, to today. So, you know, his parents have a tracker on his phone. He's got to, uh, you know, go through this whole day without a cell phone cause he leaves it. Or like he finds a way to put it at school or he's sick, I guess. So at home and, and things like that. I think you kind of modernize it. Um, you have him, you have more video screens and things that he has to avoid. And I think you could have funny scenarios where, you know, he's going around LA and he's projected onto some, you know, giant billboard. That's like a video billboard or something. And Zach Galifianakis is like, every time he turns around, Ferris is ducking out of the way or something like that. So yeah. I think stuff like that you could do. Um, and I think that's the, the best thing to do with a lot of these comedies is stick with a similar plot, but modernize the humor in a, in a way um, that that works and actually makes it different. Not just try to repeat the same jokes from the original, like the um, National Lampoon's movie that just came out with Ed Helms. They didn't do a good enough job just like making it current humor. They were just like, we're going to go for the same stuff from the original, but do it today. And I felt like that hurt the movie. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing with it. Yeah, the main thing I would say against yours is just, like, I don't know. Like, as you said, you're going to do, like, different updated humor and stuff. And, like, some of the jokes are different. But, like, the overall premise of him, like, trying to get away from Ed Rooney, I don't know if that's too different enough. It's, like, the main thing I would probably hammer on yours. Yeah. Yeah. And, then you know, my argument towards that would just be the plot line is the same, just like a lot of remakes. But the thing that I want to update is, you know, how the characters act. You don't have as many pratfalls and things from Ed Rooney, but you have Zach, Zach Galifianakis, like, trying to get people to take him seriously, and everyone's just like, dude, you're a principal looking for a teenager. Like, what's your deal? Yeah. Um, and I think he could pull that off well. So yeah, what I would have done with it is I would have cast Guillermo del Toro, and instead of taking Cameron and Sloan around Chicago, Ferris 
takes them through a magical, like fantastical world that he finds. Yeah, I like that idea too. And that I would have found be... like different, like things that are similar. Like a parade would have been like a more magical, fantastical parade. The like snooty guy at the restaurant would have been like some kind of magical creature that was kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. And like, and uh, instead of the principal trying to find him, it might have been someone from that magical world who realizes that like they don't belong in this world trying to find them and get them back to like the human world. The human world. Yeah. So you add more danger. Maybe he's even trying to like kill him or something. So you add more of the camera del Toro, like danger and suspense or, you know, thrillerness to it. I like that idea too. Um, I think a lot of these movies could have worked pretty good with a uh, Guillermo del Toro. So I, I went with that obviously for a later pitch, but I, I like that idea for it. Um, anything else you got to say about Ferris Bueller's day off? No, I think that's it. All right. So next we got Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from uh, 1989. Got a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's about um, a scientist father of a teenage girl and boy accidentally shrinks his uh, his and two other neighborhood teens to the size of insects. Now the teens must fight diminutive dangers as the father searches for them. Stars Rick Moranis, directed by Joe Johnston. Um, so Joe, I started with the last one. What'd you do with honey? I shrink the kids. Uh, I literally wrote, I don't know, Pixarify it. That's what I would have done. I would have made, I would have made it a Pixar movie. Like the ants and all the creatures they come across probably would talk and that whole thing. Okay. Now, now I remember on this episode, what gave me the idea of this that I kind of ran with here was Tristan set this movie in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Now, I remember I, I liked the idea, but then he just went too far away from it. You already have a shrinking device in the movie, so I felt that you could have really hit on that. Maybe Rick Moranis is the inventor of it and stuff um, for the you know the Mike TV gimmick. So this is my pitch. Um, so obviously my rule, I'm setting it in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Um, it's going to have the same cast as uh, the original How I Met Your – not How I Met Your Mother. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and um, – you know, Gene Wilder and the original uh, Willy Wonka's uh, Chocolate Factory cast too. Wayne Slezinski, Rick Moranis, is hired to work on a shrinking candy in Willy Wonka's uh, factory for the upcoming reopening. Uh, he uh, does not believe his invention is going well because it is not yet working. One day he is stuck without a babysitter and must bring his kids to work with him. Uh, he must do this because his teenage daughter is grounded and is not allowed to stay home alone and watch the kids. So he brings them to the factory. While working on his invention, the kids are uh, messing around and bump into his shrink ray. He is upset because he thinks it is broken. Tells the kids to stay put while he grabs his tools. The kids are then shot by the shrink ray and are shrunk into the size of insects. No one notices this, so they must find their dad while exploring the factory as miniature versions of themselves. So you set up your... Uh, your same type of hijinks as the original, how I, uh, I keep wanting to call it how I shrunk the kids, honey, I shrunk the kids. Um, but instead of them just being in a backyard, you have an entire chocolate factory to work with. So, yeah, that'd be really you good. know, I, I think that really sets it up. I think Tristan went, he almost got there with it, but then he went a different direction. So I kind of want to do Jane Wilder and Rick Moranis as the adults looking for these kids and they're shrunk in the chalk factory and Oompa Loompas are now the most giant thing in the world. And while they're doing their crazy little dances and songs, the kids have to avoid them because they could get smashed by them. Um, 
and you know the chocolate river is now a chocolate ocean and you know everything like that i think that sets it up well um it would have been a good mashup if you know in a fantasy world where you could have kind of matched uh, these movies together so i kind of did what i did with jaws and just kind of took that movie and set it in the universe of the chocolate factory because i like doing that with the with this rule yeah <coughs> all right yeah, and also we didn't get to it but uh bobby used the cast of his sitcom and he used the same sitcom you did with blackish and uh he ended up winning i think for a lot of the reasons that you said about tristan's is he just didn't get all the way there where I think Bobby's was a lot more fully realized. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby had a full pitch and I, and I think he had a better grip on what he was doing. Tristan started it with a good idea, but then all he had to do was connect the, you know, the Mike TV bit, the shrink ray to honey, I shrunk the kids, but it was kind of separate. And it, um, you know, I, I was like, that's a perfect opportunity to kind of merge these worlds together. So I liked, uh, I like to do that. So that was my pitch for it. Um, and I think I would have beaten, I don't know, Pixarize it. <laughs> so well, I, I didn't write a full it. pitch. If I had wrote a I full know. pitch, it would have been better. But I, I was just like, that was the rule that I had kind of left of that one. And I feel like you could make something pretty. If I felt like sitting down and writing it out, I probably could have wrote a pretty decent pitch for a Pixar version of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, then you're stuck with you're not stuck with like having to do the weird effects of the original one and you have an entire world of these shrunken characters are in an animated universe and you can do anything yeah. with that the you know only I, thing I, I would have against yours is it feels like the adults get shrunk and not the kids so the title really doesn't match the plot and that'd probably be the only really argument against yours no the the kids get shrunk and then Rick Moranis and um, Gene Wilder, the adults, they play like the role of the mom and dad looking oh, okay. for the kids. But instead of the mom, who's not really used much in the original one, you have Gene Wilder and you still have Rick Moranis. So yeah. I think that um, could be would be fun. So that's mine. And then uh, next up, we have Jack and Jill. And I'll um, go first to this because I actually wrote a plot for this. So did I. That's good. So we can actually kind of have a little competition here because um, this is the first one we've matched up full pitches with. But Jack and Jill came out in 2011. It got a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I feel like it got one pity vote, uh, upvote. Um, family Guy, uh, Jack Saddlestein, prepares for the annual event he dreads, the Thanksgiving visit of his fraternal twin sister, the needy and passive-aggressive Jill, who then refuses to leave, starring Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler, and Al Pacino. Directed by Dennis Duggan, which recently I I don't know if you've ever seen Al Pacino's Dunkachino commercial in that I'm movie. Not, I've not watched this movie, so it's the craziest thing in the world. And I just randomly on Twitter, someone tweeted out like the dubbed Japanese version. I think it was of just that scene, and it is insane. It's truly insane. Um, so yeah, that I that gave me enjoyment the other day. Probably the only time Jack and Jill has ever given me enjoyment. Um, so you're going to go first. You have a, uh, a real pitch for it. And so do I. So let's see what we did with it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll say what they did first. Uh, Tristan, he made his as problematic as possible. And I remember he went balls out just fucking yeah. like the most like R Kelly's doing dances with little girls. He's hitting <laughs> on Millie Bobby Brown, Mel Gibson's directing and starring. I think yeah he, yeah he just went full-on crazy and bobby i still feel bad i think tristan lost every role and that was chris rock because he didn't think they went far enough 
with just having Adam Sandler play two roles. We put Karis Rock in every role, and he ended up winning because I can't remember why we didn't pick Tristan's. I, I guess we said because Tristan's would never get made. I think I think I later when I re-listened to it, I texted Tristan and I was like, "Man, I made a mistake. You should have won because he really did make it as problematic as possible." Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think that uh, rule has never been used better than what Tristan did with it. And he definitely, you know, made it problematic. So that's yeah. Tristan's favorite pitch that he's done, he says. Yeah, I can imagine. So I'll tell you what I did. So my director right. is uh, Max Barbacow, who directed Palm Springs, which released uh, earlier this year on Hulu. It's a good, okay. like, dram- dramedy with uh, Andy Samberg yeah, like, and uh, yeah, a good one. Simmons and uh, the chick that played the mom and How I Met Your Mother. I can't remember her name. Yeah. Anyways. My plot, a rich ad executive, Jack, is visited by his sister, Harleen Jillian Quinzel, a.k.a. Harley (laughs) Quinn, for the holidays. Things go from bad to worse when Jack's new client, J.K. Simmons, playing himself, gets a crush on Harley. Jack tries to keep them separate because he fears Harley will kill J.K. Simmons, but she gets a crush on him, too. When Joker sees Harley and J.K. on a date, he visits Jack, and Jack is happy to reunite them and convinces his sister to go back to the Joker until he sees firsthand how terrible the Joker treats her. Now Jack and JK have to work together to free Harley from the grip of the Joker. And my Jack is going to be Ryan Reynolds. Uh, his wife, Aaron, who I didn't really put in my plot overall, but like he's good, if he has a family, he's going to need a wife, is uh, Anna Kendrick. Obviously, uh, Harley Quinn is played by Margot Robbie. J.K. Simmons plays himself. And originally, because I didn't think they would ever bring Jared Leto back, I recast the Joker as Johnny Depp, but it seems like they're going to bring Jared Leto back as the Joker, so I'm just going to keep him as uh, the Joker. Well, there would be more reason to want to get her away from him if it's the shitty version we got in Suicide Squad. So works for your pitch. Um, Yeah, I thought about making this a Batman movie and putting Harley Quinn in it. And I really was like trying to look up Jack and Jill Batman characters. But there was just no one that really stuck out. So I like your use of making Harley's middle name Jillian. I don't think that's canon or anything, but I think no, you just, I just added that, it. right? My, yeah, my but, I, but I like that. Jack's first name isn't Jack. It's like he's like, he would be something like Robert Jack uh, Quinzel Jr. But he goes by his middle name Jack. And so he always referred to her as Jill, even though her first name's Harley. Yeah. So that's kind of more where Jack and Bill would come from. All right, so we went a completely different direction with this. Um, I do have a full pitch, though, so we can kind of see what uh, what we like out of them. So I made mine a Pixar movie. All right. My my director is Pete Docter, who's like the classic Pixar director. Did uh, you know most of the good ones, um, except for what like the one dude from Pixar basically got canceled and Brad was a Bird. huge problematic guy. Not Brad Bird, the uh, the dude who Bird, did like no, the original. No. Yeah, movies. I know who you're talking about. I don't remember um, his name, which is probably the best. But my director's Pete Doctor. John my Lester? Jack. No, that's not right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I guess I can do my cast first. So my Jack is going to be Hunter Schaefer, who is um, in Euphoria. Um, my Jill is Caitlin uh, Diaz, who played Riley uh, in Inside Out. My the father is Richard Kind, who was Bing Bong in uh, Inside Out, and he does a bunch of voice work. He's super famous, and the mom in my movie is going to be played by Tina Fey. So this is my pitch for it. Jack and Jill are twins. They were both um, they were born twin girls, 
Jack was born a girl named Jacqueline, but has ident- but has always identified as a boy. The two go through life, brother and sister, while Jack struggles with uh, his identity. Uh, this movie teaches the values of acceptance of gender identification while Jacqueline transitions to Jack, while Jill learns to accept her brother's choice. Um, I think this uh, is a good opportunity for Pixar to kind of do something like that and go into a super modern um, issue and teach kids about it. And I think uh, with the cast, Hunter Schaefer is a transgender actor, well, actress. Um, she's in Euphoria. I think this would be a uh, a good way to kind of do it. It's obviously very different from like Jack and Jill and different from what Pixar's kind of done. But I would love to see a movie made about this for kids and just normalize it, you know, like yeah. gender identifications, a uh, a real thing and, and, you know, transitioning. And I think normalizing that is the best thing to do. And I think a Pixar movie doing that, there'd be no better way to uh, kind of, you know, show families like, yeah, this is acceptable. Like this is okay. This is a tough thing to deal with, but we're going to show you, you know, the struggles and then the acceptance and the happiness that, you know, happens from this. Um, so I, that's the way I went with it. I, I like my pitch a lot. Um, I think that could be a cool little Pixar movie with some good messages like inside out had good messages. And I think Pete doctor is a good director for that. Yeah. My, my only argument against that would be there's no way Pixar would ever do that anytime soon. Like, like Disney always plays it like extremely super safe that there's no way in hell they would ever make that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like Pixar being like, you know what, we're going to just take a stance on this and we're going to make our movie about it. Um, and if they actually broke that barrier, I think they could make a really good movie about it. So this was like my opportunity to kind of pitch that for like them. They're still so. barely including gay characters in their movies. They had like exactly. a character that had like one line referring to their wife and it wasn't even fully like aware that the character that said that was a woman. And it was like a fucking unicorn. In and like Broadway. and like even in like the Beauty and the Beast remake, they made what's his name? Our favorite actor's uh, role like the they made him a gay dude, but like they oh, barely Gattis did or, it. Yeah, yeah. Josh Gad. Yeah. They, but like they barely did anything with that. So it's like I need Pixar and Disney to just be like, you know what? We're going to go and do what's right. And we're going to make a movie to kind of put this into homes and normalize things and get kids to ask questions because you never know. Like you're a parent, like kids kill themselves because of gender identification because they don't think they'll be accepted. And that's, that's a problem. So I wish a big company like Disney would, you know, make a movie to kind of normalize an issue in the world and, and make a good movie about it. Cause you could still have funny moments. It's still a Pixar movie, but also have really heartfelt moments and family moments. So that's the direction I went. Um, And yours, I, yours just sounds like a good, a better version of Jack and Jill, but comedy wise, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need to see any of those people in that movie. Like, but I like your director. So, you know, if you're going for the same type of humor as um, Palm Springs, I guess that's good. You know, that that was a good movie. I liked that. I watched that yeah. pretty recently. It's hard to argue when yours is like a straight up comedy and then the others is like, oh, this is an important mo- Pixar movie for kids. It's like, oh, fuck that movie. My movie's better. And it's like, yeah, I feel <laughs> shitty now. That's what I'm like, you know, my, my pitch, like, I feel like if we were actually doing this, I feel like I'd win because I, you know, I, it's more of a heartfelt movie and an important movie. Me winning would come down to whether they would give you the win, even though Pixar would never make that movie. If the judge was like, Pixar would never make that movie. So I can't give you the win. Then that's basically what it would come down to. Yeah. Yeah. We need to see some changes here. Pixar. I know you're listening. 
You're one of our like three viewers. Hey, we have two Pixar. right now, and it's probably two Tristan and Spinner fifty eight. So probably. So there we go. Um, so that's my Jack and Jill movie. Uh, anything else you got to say about Jack and Jill? Uh, no, uh, we talked about what they did, right? Yeah, yeah, we talked yep. about everything. Yeah, I'm good. All right. So my uh, yeah, but again, I apologize to Tristan because he definitely should have won that point, which I think would have given him the win in the episode. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Damn. Keep game changer yeah, right there. On that one, and then if you were judging, I think you were judging him when he faced Mason, where I give Mason the win instead of me, he would have won that one. So he'd be like three and he'd have three wins. Yeah, you got to know who your judge is. That's that's the the most important thing pander to your judge. Yeah, and we tried the three judges, we just had too many technical problems with that many people through Zoom or you know, StreamYard or whatever we're on. So that was a problem, but that format might be better in the future if we could ever get it figured out. Um, yeah. Like even now we're having technical difficulties and it's just the two of us. So yeah, exactly. So, you know, you never know. All right. So, so try fucking zoom or not zoom, but uh stream labs and see if that's better. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if that helps with some stuff. Um, so if you were thinking of sponsoring a stream yard, you better fucking get on it. Um, all right. So next we got Superman the movie from 1978. Another <laughs> win stolen from me by rigged judges. I was the judge, and I just changed my mind when I re-listened to the pitch. The problem with Tristan's pitches are they're so long that I'm always more interested in them on listen back. But I'm just like, in the moment, I'm like, I don't remember anything you just said. I don't have the attention span to yeah, remember anything you said. Too. Sometimes I feel like I punish people for long pitches by just rooting it by voting for the other person, just out of spite. And I try really, really hard not to do that. I do too. Sometimes and not, it's out of spite. It's just because I don't remember anything from the long pitch. You know, we're fast moving. I got to have stuff instantly. All right. Mm-hmm. It's 2020. We don't read books. Instant gratification, baby. Exactly. Um, all right. So Superman, the movie came out in 1978 has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. So an alien orphan is sent from his dying planet to Earth, where he grows up to become his adoptive home's first and greatest superhero. It stars Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, and Gene Hackman. It's directed by Richard Donner. It's a classic. It's got one of the most classic uh, scores of all time. Doesn't hold up particularly well as far as quality of movie, in my opinion. But no. He turns the Earth backwards to go back in time. Hey, that could work. You, no one's done it. You can't. You can't. You know, fault it if you've never tried it. Yeah. I mean, other than the all of the scientists being like, yeah, that that's impossible. Um, and common sense too. What did our what did our uh, uh, two combatants do for this one originally? So Tristan uh, used the cast of a sitcom and he used Community, and I was just like, even listening back, I'm like, he better not win, just because it's like I didn't like his pitch really at all. It was just like he had Joel McHale as Superman and. I don't remember what his other casting was, but like I wasn't a fan of. He tied it. He tied. He did the classic mistake that people are doing with the sitcom thing and tying it to the sitcom. He made it like an episode of Community, and if he just had cast people from the show and made it not about the show, I think he would have done better. But Joe McHale's Community was the right choice because like you got to at least have someone that matches like the lead role, and no one in Community really fits. He could have done. He could have done. I don't think he has the rest of the cast to fill out like a Superman movie, but I would be perfectly fine if he'd went with uh, Donald Glover as Superman with just not his connection as Troy from 
yeah. um, community, you know, because he's a good actor. One who was in like Ant one or two episodes, honestly, and then if the surrounding cast around them were like the main characters, I'd be yeah. okay with that. Yeah, like he literally went like Lex Luthor is the principal because he's bald, basically, I believe. So it's just yeah. like, no, like they, they just didn't fit. I think there was better ways he could have done with it, but community probably not the strongest choice for it but it was like bobby's scrubs anaconda like don't tie it to these to the to the thing that's not the use of the rule the rule is just take the actors and make it into a movie yeah which i'm still salty my fantastic four pitch lost to bobby's shitty fantastic four pitch alex still thinks that's a terrible decision and i agree all right well bobby used middle earth actors and i remember he cast uh what's his face uh, Viggo Mortensen is Lex Luthor, which I think is a great choice. Viggo Mortensen has always been my number one choice to play Deathstroke if they ever make like put Deathstroke in a movie beyond a small cameo with Joe Manganiello. But I think him as Lex Luthor was really good. I can't remember what any of his other casting was though. He's Middle Earth. I don't really either. Yeah, he did. So I I did this. He won. I did the same thing as Bobby. I I did Middle Earth actors. I don't have a full pitch for it. Right. I, I do um, have a full pitch for this. I I figure you did because it's a Superman movie. So I was just like, I don't need to write out one because we're all gonna have yours. Um, and I wasn't too passionate about a Superman movie, honestly. Like until they get me back on track with Superman, I'm just not about him anymore. But I had I don't know Orlando Bloom as Superman, Hugo Weaving as Brainiac. I would have had in the movie. Liv Tyler as Lois Lane and Viggo Mortensen as Lex Luthor. Those are the only notes I had, but I would have done Middle Earth people. Yeah, like I've had a lot of problems recently with the Superman movies, so that's why I decided to make my Superman movie as problematic as possible. There you go. Interesting. My director, obviously, it's the go-to when you, this is your rule. It's Mel Gibson. <laughs> I don't know why he's like the only problematic director, is, apparently, like, but like he's the most famous problematic director, he, he and he's still getting work. He tells, like, well, Brian Singer already made a Superman movie, so, like... That's true. I don't need to go oh, back. Oh, you could have brought him back. You could have brought him back. The thing is, Mel Gibson's, like, problematic, but, like, a lot of... I feel like he's mostly fixed himself. I don't know. I don't follow Mel You Gibson. literally... You could have brought Brian Singer back as the director and Kevin Spacey back as Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> I could But I went in a slightly different direction. Okay. Let's um, hear it. My writer is Max Landis, who has uh, multiple sexual assault allegations, but I also feel like he could write a pretty decent Superman movie if he, you know. He's a he's a he's a terrible writer, but he's very passionate about his bad writing. So he yeah. would definitely write a Superman movie, but it would be terrible. Yeah, that's true. My Superman, I couldn't really find anyone that I liked, but I just was okay with this choice, especially for a problematic Superman. I went with Tom Cruise. Interesting. Why is he um, problematic? Lex- what? Why we got to throw Tom Cruise into this? I guess Scientology. he's a Scientologist. That's a whole problem, yeah. That's true. My my Lex Luthor is uh, Nate Parker, who was like the writer-director of the recent like Birth of a Nation movie that was poised to win like the best picture, but then it found out he was accused of rape when he was in college. So Yeah. Uh, my Lois Lane is Amber Heard, who ruined Johnny Depp. And yeah, she like Lorelle stabbed and, him. Uh, what didn't she like stab him like yeah, she used to just like stab him she was just like yeah you know i'm bored i'm gonna stab johnny duck and then uh mike Jorrell is obviously mel gibson obviously and then my plot kal is raised in kansas by hardcore christian conservatives jonathan and martha kent they don't believe he is an alien but believe he is the second coming of christ and raise him as a god 
Around Clark's 20th birthday, he finds evidence of his true heritage, but rejects it and chooses to become the god he believes himself to be. Uh, later on in his life, he meets billionaire Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor illegally acquires a plot of land to create his own utopia free of racism and bigotry, but since the land was acquired illegally, Superman decides to stop him. And that's my plot of my Superman the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. It, um, Yeah, godlike figure. If you put that on Mel Gibson, it makes sense. Very, There's a little bit of problems there. And it's like something that like conceivably you could be like, yeah, that actually might get made. Yeah. Uh, like that was the thing I, I was, I try to make it as problematic as possible, but still makeable. You know, cause that's why Tristan lost. Cause we were like, this movie would never get made. But then listening back, I'm like, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't get made, but he definitely used the rule. Right. Yeah. But yours could realistically get made. Uh, I think uh, maybe, maybe like 10 years ago, probably not now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in Mel Gibson's prime. Oh yeah. If you after passion of the Christ, uh, it, not that long ago to do the sequel. True, but he wasn't doing what you're did you doing with it. He wasn't like, yeah, we're gonna make him this godlike thing, get into all that. But you're right. I mean, he was direct, he was attached to Suicide Squad, so that would have been way different than what we're getting. Yeah, Tristan. Tristan also said Max Landis also wrote a Superman comic that changed like everything about the character. I don't. I didn't end up reading it. I didn't read it at the time, but I remember him like tweeting about it when I followed him on Twitter before he like had all when, problems. Yeah. Cause when he was on like screen junkies all the time, I followed him and he would, yeah, he had that Superman comic and it was like, but it was terrible. Like it was just wasn't very Superman. I just remember you know? Superman getting beat up as a kid or something. Yeah. I don't know. Max Landis is like the epitome of just like nepotism. Yeah. You know, he's the only reason that he ever even had a job in Hollywood. Um, cause his dad died, you know, but, um, all right. Got anything else to say? I mean, fighting yours, it would be tough because it's a problematic movie. I guess I would have just said it wasn't problematic enough and just threw things at you that were more probably problematic. Probably could have Cruise is like not being that problematic and also not being that good of a fit for suit. Like it's not good enough either yeah. way. He's not a super problematic person. He's still a big movie star, but he's also doesn't really fit Superman. That's yeah, I would have said it, if if you were gonna pick a problematic actor, you could have found someone more problematic and better fit for the Superman role. That's yeah. basically you know it out of your casting or like why didn't you just bring back Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor? Like, come on, man. He That's doesn't really great fit plot as why of like the, the young black guy creating a utopia oh, for yeah. of like racism and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it would be funny if Kevin Spacey was the one creating utopia. He's like, I'm going to bring all the young boys. <laughs> um, all right. So that is it on Superman. Um, I uh, have a full pitch for the next movie. So our, our next one, we, we have competing pitches. Um, that is To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a fantastic book and a fantastic movie uh, from 1962. Got a 92% of Rotten Tomatoes, which is low. I can't believe that's lower than Superman, the movie. It's about Atticus Finch, a lawyer in the Depression era South, uh, defends a black man against an undeserved rape charge and his children against prejudice. Stars Gregory Peck. John Magna and uh, Frank Overton. It's directed by Robert Mulligan. Um, so Joe, do you want to do your pitch first or second? Uh, I'll, I'll go first and I'll tell you what they did as well. Uh, Tristan uh, cast Charlie Sheen as a cop because he kind of made a more modernized, updated version. And I believe he focused more on the role of Tom Robinson. And he made him more of the main character. 
and he was uh, accused instead of raping someone. I think he was accused of assaulting a cop. And Charlie Sheen, oh, yeah. I believe, played that cop. And then uh, Bobby decided to make his as problematic as possible. Uh, but I think he similar went the same route I did with my Superman movie as he made, tried to make his makeable, but he went one step too far and had Scarlett Johansson in blackface. And that's why he lost and Tristan ended up winning. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. He, uh, he just went like a step too far. Like his was going the right way because this was a, a movie. If you're going to make something problematic, pick the movie about racism mm-hmm. and then do like what the movie doesn't intend to do. Um, but then he just went too far with it. And I was like, well, this won't get made, which wasn't really the spirit of the rule, but I, I like Tristan's pitch, I think, better. But, but I feel like if you're going to go with, a, I'm trying to get this made, and then you put Scarlett Johansson in blackface, then it undercuts your, your whole argument. That that was his thing. Tristan never made the argument of this could get made. No. Um, and Bobby Bobby did, and then did that. And I was like, well, you can't argue that it's going to get made, and then throw Scarlett Johansson in blackface. All right, so... Uh, the rule I used, uh, if anyone's keeping track, is I used the cast of a sitcom. And the sitcom I chose was Roseanne, and I specifically chose season one for one specific reason. And that reason is my Atticus Finch will be played by George Clooney, who played Roseanne's boss in season one of Roseanne. Uh, my scout, the young daughter, is going to be played by Sarah Gilbert, who is the daughter in the family. Uh, Dill, the weird kid next door is going to be played by Michael Fishman, who's the son on Roseanne. Uh, Boo Radley, originally played by Robert Duvall, is going to be played by John Goodman. Uh, Jem, uh, the Atticus Finch's other son, is going to be played by Johnny Galecki, who was like one of the boyfriends on the show. Uh, and mm-hmm. then he went on to be in Big Bang Theory. Uh, Mrs. DuBose, the weird, crazy, old racist lady next door, is going to be played by Roseanne Barr, because obviously... Tom Robinson uh, It's going to be played by James Pickens Jr., who wasn't a very big role on the show. He was one of uh, John Goodman's, like, friends on the show. He was probably in maybe, like, 10, 15 total episodes of the entire, like, nine-season run. Yeah. Uh, Judge Taylor is Michael O'Keefe. Uh, he's probably more known for being Danny Noonan on Caddyshack than he was uh, in Roseanne. And then my Mayela Ool, the woman who gets raped, is going to be played by Lori Metcalf, who's Roseanne's sister on the show. And then my plot, because I use like the season one cast, but it's set in 2020. So in 2020, a female off-duty cop, May- Mayela Ewell, is sexually assaulted, and she blames local black man in town, Tom Robinson. Uh, Tom Robinson turns to the most honorable man in town, Atticus Finch, for his help. Atticus takes the case, even though he knows he will lose, to help teach his children right from wrong. Later on, after it's announced that Tom Robinson killed himself in his cell before sentencing, Mayala confesses it was her own fellow officers that did it. Uh, and throughout the movie, Atticus's two children have run-ins with a scary Boo Radley, but when their house is broken into by cops trying to Im- intimidate the Finches, Boo saves the kids. And that's my There you point. go. All right. And which goes with what you said if I didn't connect it to the show on any level. It's just Yeah, exactly. You didn't just make it an episode of Roseanne, just cast people from it. Yeah. That's how that rule is intended, you know. Um, all right. So yeah, for anyone keeping track, if anyone actually is, I'm making my To Kill a Mockingbird a Guillermo del Toro movie. Um, so my Atticus Finch um is Michael Shannon. I want to see him kind of be the good guy in a Guillermo del Toro movie. My Boo Radley, you know what? We'll do the pitch, and then I'll get to the rest of my cast. Actually, 
So Scout and her brother, Jim, befriend a neighbor's nephew from out of town, Dill Harris. They go on adventures over the summer and become friends. Atticus, father of Scout and Jem, is a small-time widowed lawyer. Scout, Dill, and Jem become obsessed with the story of the creature that lives by them, Boo Radley. In, um, in, he lives in an old hut covered in moss. That no one ever sees him. Um, the uh, seemingly mythical Boo Radley uh, it becomes the kid's obsession. The kids are at first scared of the horror stories they hear um, of the mysterious neighbor, but start to uh, bet each other to get closer to the house and touch his hut and things like that. They start leaving gifts for him and find that they are gone the next day and small tokens are left behind from Boo for the kids. Um, the movie shifts focus when a young black man named Tom Robinson is accused of raping a young white woman named Mayella Ewing. Her father, Bob Ewell, claims he walked in his house and saw Tom raping his daughter. Atticus is the only man willing to defend Tom. The movie proceeds as the original, um, a great court case drama. Uh, but in the end, Tom is prosecuted uh, after Atticus puts up the best possible defense he can. Bob wants revenge on Atticus and then goes to attack Scout, Dill, and Jem. Um, for being, you know, made a fool. He looks up at uh, what, uh, let's see, I lost my spot. Defense possibly can. Bob wants revenge on Atticus, so he goes after Scout, Dylan, Jem. As Bob is about to hurt the kids, a creature um, eight foot tall stands over him. Uh, he looks up at what costs the shadow over him, and the creature slashes Bob across the throat with his claws, uh, breathes a bizarre gas on the children, causing them to pass out where he carries them to his hut. Scout awakens and sees the creature staring at her. She realizes this must be the Boo Radley that she has heard about. The two have a long conversation about the events of the trial, Boo telling Scout that they, the hatred uh, humans carry for everything uh, different than themselves. It's why he um, it was cast aside and remains hidden because he is misunderstood, even though he is a uh, protector of children and the people um, in the town. And my, so my Atticus Finch was Michael Shannon. My Boo Radley is going to be played by Doug Jones because he's a big creature. My judge uh, of the trial, Judge Taylor, is going to be played by Ron Perlman, um, who was Hellboy, and he's been in some Guillermo movies before. Uh, my Tom Robinson is John Boyega, who um, I think is good for the role. And he was in Pacific Rim 2, which was produced by Guillermo del Toro. My scout is Julia Butters, who's the little girl in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My Dill Harris is Sonny Sil Siljic, who is uh, the main star of mid-90s and Killing of a Sacred Deer. And then my gem, Scout's older brother, is Noah Jupe, um, the kid in uh, Honey Boy. And then my Bob Ewell, he was like the bad guy uh, who, you know, is the dad, is Sam Rockwell. Because I didn't like Three Billboards, but I feel like he can play that character well. And it's a very similar role. And yeah. except he's not as like funny. Um, and then my Mayela, Mayela, Ewell, the girl who accused Tom, that's going to be played by Samara Weaving, who is the main star of Ready or Not. And she's a good actress as well. Okay. Um, and my movie, and my movie is going to be set like when To Kill Mockingbird was set, like in the fifties. I think it's still like a good, a good timing for it. And it makes sense for what I'm going for with the creature and everything. And for Guillermo del Toro's uh, style, like not modernizing it. He likes to do movies that are like, um, you know, period yeah, pieces. All of his are like period pieces for the most part. Yeah. So that's, that's my pitch for it. Um, I, I went that direction. It doesn't have as many like creepy creatures as like a Gamma del Toro pitch. Like we usually do with it, but I, all you really need is the one. And I feel like Boo Radley 
fits that. And throughout the movie, the design of Guillermo del Toro kind of works. And he's dealt with, you know, some some class issues and stuff like that in his movies before, but this would give him a good opportunity to do like a classic story, his take on a classic story where you're changing it enough, but you're not changing the whole plot of the movie. Yeah. Um, so my that's own, my movie. My only thing, yeah, I feel like mine is just like an updated kind of original. I didn't like add much. I mean, I kind of like changed it to make the story fit more with modern times, but I didn't like yeah. add creatures or anything or do anything like crazy like you did. The only thing I'd have against yours is I feel like the Guillermo del Toro-ness of it doesn't really come in until like towards the end. And at first, like for like the first like three quarters of the movie, I'd be like, why did Guillermo del Toro even direct this? This doesn't feel like his type of thing. And then obviously when Boo Radley comes out and it's a big like monstrous creature, it kind of makes more sense. But yeah, my um, and my thing with it, too, like it not writing down in the pitch wise, like to kill a mockingbird you know, it was a famous title, but I would actually have like a little mockingbird that kind of is like the fairies in um, Pan's Labyrinth that kind of guide Scout like through her journeys and stuff and maybe guide her to, you know, the, the secret spot in the hut to leave the the gift. And she kind of knows like this is Boo Radley. Mm-hmm. And then he would explain like my mockingbird keeps a watch. I'm the protector of the, you know, the children in this town. Yeah. Um, but no, but I live in the shadows because of the you know, because everyone's afraid of anything different than them. So you kind of get that commentary. And and I think it fits Gamma well because, like, we have that theme in all his movies of humans are the real evil. The creatures aren't usually the, the villains. Boo Radley is the good guy, and he's the creature, and he's the protector of them, and the real villains are the humans. So you still get those themes. Um, and, and it doesn't change. Like, it's a classic movie and a classic book and a classic story. So I don't think you need to change too much of it or really modernize it. Um, I think the best type of movies are ones that show like this was happening in the fifties, but it's still relevant today. Like to kill a mockingbird still holds up um, in terms of that, you know, problem. So I don't think you need to modernize it as much. That would be my argument against yours. Um, But again, I I think your pitch is pretty good. Um, I say that because I'm not actually facing you. I would just crap it on it if I was not, but, but I thought your pitch was good. You bring in the police. I'm pretty passionate about my pitches and I'm not going to let myself lose easily. Yeah. I don't have anything written yet, so we'll see. I gotta, I gotta get mine uh, going. I gotta focus, but I was focused on this. So yeah. All right. Well, that completes our, our, the first episode that we're looking at. So next It'll be a little shorter because we only have the seven movies, but um, yeah. we're going horror through the ages. You have the notes on these movies, I believe. I do not. Yeah, I do. I do somewhere. Yeah, I do. So I think we're just going to go 1950s. We're not going alphabetical order this time. I just have it in the order of 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Yeah. That's what I have it as. So uh, I'll, I'll read the rules and then or the movie, and then hopefully I have the rules at the bottom. I do. Good. So uh, our first movie is... Uh, representing the 1950s is the blob from 1958 then we have for the 1960s psycho from 1960 uh and then from the 1970s we have when a stranger calls from one uh 1979 for the 1980s we have the thing from 1982 uh for the 1990s we have tremors from 1990 for the 2000s we have paranormal activity from 2007 for and lastly for the 2010s we have slender man from 2018 and then our rules are one must include the cast of grown-ups, one must be set in space, one must include a character made famous by Brad Pitt, one must be a Guillermo del Toro movie. I feel like that rule is kind of done after this episode. We've done that too many times. 
Uh, one must include only Harry Potter actors. One must be set in the COVID-19 lockdown. And then one must include Polly Shore. And uh, so to start with for the blob, I will read the description as Johnny does whatever the hell he's doing. And it's got a load. So the blob, it got a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Wikipedia says it's a science fiction horror film starring Steve McQueen in his feature film debut. Uh, the storyline concerns a growing corrosive alien amoeboidal entity that crashes to Earth from outer space inside a meteorite. It devours and dissolves citizens in the small communities of Phoenixville and Downington, Pennsylvania, growing larger, redder, and more aggressive each time it does so, eventually becoming larger than a building. And so for this movie, uh, Tristan uh, set his in space, and I believe his director was James Gunn, and that's kind of the tone he went with. It was kind of like the thing invaded a spaceship, and it was like flowing through the spaceship. And uh, Mason used the cast of grown-ups for him, and I remember in his pitch, Rob Schneider just like played himself, and all of the cast of grown-ups were essentially playing themselves. And Rob Schneider got infected by the blob and just got, like, bigger and bigger, and it was arguably the worst pitch I've ever heard on the show in my entire life. And so uh, Tristan won by default. And I'll just say right now, uh, all I have for my rule is Guillermo del Toro. I did not put any more thought into this beyond that, is I would probably end up having Guillermo del Toro direct my movie. What I would do beyond that couldn't tell you. So, Johnny, what did you do for The Blob? And please tell me you did more so I don't have to read a bunch of shit immediately. I um, I didn't do a ton with uh, with The Blob, but what I did was I cast um, the I used the cast of Harry Potter, mainly because I feel like Daniel Radcliffe as The Blob would be something that he'd want to do. Because um, he's doing weird, unique roles. Like, he was Igor in the Victor Frankenstein movie. He was the farting corpse in Swiss Written Army Man. Max Landis. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the level of writer that Max Landis is doing Victor Frankenstein. But Daniel Radcliffe likes doing these really weird type of roles where he, like, looks crazy. So him getting all bloated up like the blob, I feel like it would be a similar plot as the original, but I would just throw in the cast, you know, the Harry Potter movies in there, and then he would be the blob. That'd be my biggest thing with it. Yeah. So that's all I did. I didn't write a full pitch, but that's I just kind of paired the role with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically... I don't know. I've never seen the blob. I have no, like, feelings on the blob. Uh, yeah, same. That's kind of why I didn't write a pitch. And we have a comment. We haven't had a comment in a while. Uh, John Fricky says, I'm here. Better late than never. Don't worry. I'm masked up. So that's good. Social distancing. Good. You know, you're at the house by yourself. Uh, so mask up. Good thing you're wearing <laughs> a mask. Uh, it's, my mom should be home by now. So, uh, and then next we have. Psycho from 1960. Goddamn it, phone. Uh, Psycho, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I feel like it makes sense. All the older movies are about like 5 to 10% higher than they should be just because people aren't going to negatively rate Psycho in like 2015 or whatever. Rotten yeah, but also Psycho be. and Jaws are my two favorite movies of all time, and Psycho should have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. My so. dad says my mom is home, so I understand things that are going on like a thousand miles away. Anyways, uh, Wikipedia describes it as an American psychological horror thriller film produced and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The film centers on the encounter between a female embezzler on the run, Marion Crane, and Norman Bates. 
the shy proprietor of a secluded old motel and its aftermath. And uh, for this one, uh, Tristan kind of did a very similar plot of the original, but he had Brad Pitt's character from Seven, and that was the role he used the character. He literally did this. He read the. He basically read the entire script of the original Psycho, and then was like, "Oh yeah, Brad Pitt's in it now." Yeah, that's basically. I remember that was a long pitch, and then Mason uh, did more of like a Robert Eggers kind of the lighthouse version of Psycho, and he ended up winning. And I actually have a full pitch for this, but I've talked enough recently, so I'll let you. Yeah, I'll go first. I I have a pitch for this as well. Psycho is a tough one because, like I said, so like Jaws, I basically did the same movie but set it in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. That was kind of my get out of having to do a new version of Jaws. Psycho, again, like I could go back and forth. Every time I watch Jaws, every time I watch Psycho, like those are my favorite two movies and they go back and forth. It's like 1A, 1B. But I feel like if you're going to do Psycho, you have to do kind of what Mason did and go something completely different than the original one. Um, So what I did is uh, my director is David David Robert Mitchell, who did It Follows and a a little weird, unique kind of character thriller called Under the Silver Lake. Um, And that's by by Norman Bates is going to be Andrew Garfield, who is the star of Under the Silver Lake. Um, And my Norma, the voice, is going to be uh, Vera Farmiga, who was um, Norma in Bates Motel. But she's just going to be the voice like when it cuts to her when he's thinking and stuff. So that's going to be him. Um, and then uh, here's my uh, pitch. The movie begins uh, with the end of the original Psycho. Norman Bates is trying to kill Sam and Lila. Uh, they, they stop him and restrain him. Norman is sent to a mental institution, and the movie focuses on Norman trying to push his mother away from him, uh, but she will not let him go. Um, Brad Pitt reprises his role of Jeffrey Goins from 12 Monkeys as one of the other inmates in the mental institution. So that's my rule. Um, and the movie ends with Norman finally feeling free of his mother. And after years and years of therapy, he is released from the Institute. Norman is being driven away in the taxi um, and the camera pans to his smiling face. And Norman's uh, mother's voice is heard over the voiceover saying, let's go home, my son. So he doesn't actually get free of um of his mom. And that's kind of revealed at the end, but you think, you know, throughout the movie, it, it's kind of him cutting back and forth, having these arguments with himself. And then he gets, you know, clean by the end, but it's Norman in the mental institution dealing with that. And then my other, like, uh, obviously like Brad Pitt as the dude from 12 monkeys, just because I feel like that would be a fun role to see him reprise. Yeah. Um, it would have nothing to do with the plot of 12 monkeys, but he'd be in the mental institute talking about the future and, and all that stuff, more of a cameo role. And then Barry, um, uh, like some of the other mental patients would be like the real creepy dude from the dark Knight, Um, and he was in, uh, prisoners. He's got the, what's his fucking name? David. David yeah. David Dismalch. And he would be one of them. Barry Co Barry Keoghan from, he's the creepy kid and killing him a sacred deer. They'd just be like uh, a few mental patients. And then you'd have like doctors and stuff working with Norman, but it'd basically be a character piece driven fully by Andrew Garfield dealing with, you know, trying to get away from his mom okay. as a, you know, a mental patient. All right. And before we start my pitch, uh, Tristan has another comment. He said, already feeling regret about my overlong psycho pitch, but I was so attached. One of my all time favorite movies. Yeah. yeah I, get it. I mean, I agree. Yeah. This pitch I'm about to give is pretty long too. So there we go. Let's hear it. Uh, so my writer director is Robert Eggers from the witch and the lighthouse who no, I didn't just copy. Uh, just Mason. copying Mason. 
I, I, w- I will probably would have done this based on the pitch I wrote. And the rule I used is I used only Harry Potter actors. So my Norman Bates is Daniel Radcliffe. Um, my Marion Crane is Emma Watson. And then my Sam Loop, or yeah, Sam Loomis is uh, Rupert Grant. So I just basically used the main three from Harry Potter. And I said, it's a modern retelling set in Northern England. Marion Crane and her fiance, Sam Loomis, realize they cannot afford the wedding of their dreams. Marion decides to try and steal jewels from the jewelry store where uh, they work. On the run, Marion ditches her phone and laptop so she can't be traced. She ends up hiding out in a remote motel in the English countryside. There she meets the strange Norman Bates, who runs the motel with his mother, Norma. Throughout the motel, uh, Marion sees various signs of the occult, from goat heads, pentagrams, upside-down crosses, etc. She also notices that Norman has taken a very strange interest in her. Eventually, Marion finds Norma's dead body in the basement, surrounded by lit candles, when she tries to find a spot to stash her jewels. Uh, there, Norman, dressed as Norma, finds Marion and chases her throughout the motel, with the chase ending in the shower. It is revealed that Norma possessed her son when she died, but now she wants the body of the young Marion. Throughout the movie, we see Sam waiting for Marion, who never arrives. He drives the route she would have taken looking for her. Eventually, he stops at the Bates Motel, where he finds Marion in the fight for her life. Uh, Marion and Sam fight the knife-wielding Norman, which leads to Marion and Sam being locked uncon- or knocked unconscious and Norman being mortally wounded. The film ends ambiguously with the audience unsure if Marion and Sam are safe or if Norman and Norma have possessed them. Interesting. Yeah, definitely different than the original. I was like, on what world? Like, Because even with, with Mason's pitch, I thought his pitch was better, but I thought he uh, Robert Eggers was a terrible director for his choice because he's like the very psychological guy and on yours i was like all right how is eggers going to do psycho but you got into the weird demonic possessions and stuff that fits better so that makes sense i was you know you had to kind of go in that direction if you're going to go robert eggers you know if tristan's pitch wasn't so long i feel like he might have won but he just didn't change enough from it um yeah i think yours he was just more like hey i bring in and it's a lot of the similar similarities to the original, but I'm bringing in Brad Pitt for, as his character from Seven as like the investigator into it, and that was more like his pitch was like a minute and a half long. Yeah, probably would have been on board, but when they get a ten minute pitch just to get to, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. And Brad Pitt's the investigator, then it's just hard to. Yeah, yeah, he had like slight changes. It wasn't much different. Like, but he was also like, you know, Norman Bates is supposed to come off as this gentle guy, but he had him going off and hunting and killing things and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think um, if we were actually fighting this, it'd be tough. I think your pitch is good. My argument towards yours would just be why remake psycho. If you're just going to tell like the same story of them going to the motel, if you're going to make a movie about Norman Bates, I think he's a really cool, interesting character. So I'd like to go in the direction of mine where you mainly only focus on him. You get more of Norman and Norma, like their struggle and, you know, like the the end scene when Norma is voicing over when he asks for a blanket and she's like, I wouldn't hurt it. You know, she would never hurt a fly. I want to see more scenes like that if I'm watching a newest version of Psycho and less of the, you know, Norman dressed up like her trying to stab people. So that's what I'd go with it. But yours resembles the original Psycho more than yeah, mine my does. Problem, my argument against yours is yours is a, less of a reboot to Psycho and more of a sequel to Psycho. Yeah, that's why it like mine is like it still has like the beginning as the end of it, and it just go down to if the judge wanted, you know, one that's closer to a reboot or a sequel. Yeah, ours 
because there's nothing really bad about either pitch. It just come down to judge's preference at this point. Cause we're both basically yeah. going to just argue the idea of the pitch in general and not be like, Oh, the casting is bad or whatever. Yeah. Who was, who was your Norman? Uh, Daniel Radcliffe. That's right. Yeah. Cause you use the Harry Potter actors. I, I, I think he's a decent fit. I think the only thing about him is Norman's supposed to be like this kind of handsome, charming guy. And, and then he's kind of like weird. I feel like Daniel Radcliffe now, especially now, I mean, he's still probably a good looking dude, but he's just, I feel like right away it comes off as like the weirdo, yeah. you know, but like that's he's not, it, but it kind of works to your pitch. Though. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Um, I don't think though. Oh, never mind. Okay. All right, cool. That's it for Psycho. I think that would be an interesting one um, to fight if we actually had a judge, but what do we got for our next movie? All right, the next one, I believe, is the 1970s one, A Stranger Calls. It got a 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've never seen it. I don't know if that's fair. It could be too high. It could be too low. But I feel like it's somewhat of a classic, so I would assume probably too low. Uh, Wikipedia describes it as an American psychological horror film. The film derives its story from the classic folk legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs. The film has developed a large cup cult following over time because of the first 20 minutes now consistently regarded as one of the scariest openings in movie history the first 12 minutes of Russ Craven's scream is an homage to the opening of when a stranger calls and uh tristan uh set his during the coronavirus with i believe zendaya was the star of his movie yeah she was a cam girl yeah she was like a cam girl and i made him describe what cam girls were just (laughs) out of my own pure enjoyment because i thought that was hilarious and he ended up winning because his pitch was actually really good and then mason basically remade the movie shot for shot with harry potter actors and then what tried to make the argument of like we want to see harry with hermione yeah and i was everyone was like yeah no one cares about that hermione make more sense yeah so So, what did you do yours so for one of stranger calls i kind of did what you did with the blob I said it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, and I said The Stranger is one of Guillermo del Toro's weird creatures. That I don't really have any connection to this movie. We already pitched a Guillermo movie, and I didn't, and I wrote a full pitch for it, so I didn't want to do that again. So that's what I think. I mean, I didn't have a, a. If I was actually doing this, I think you could do a cool version of a creature being in someone's house. But again, with Guillermo del Toro, the creatures usually like the good guys. So I don't like. Um, you know, I'd have to maybe think about it and change it up a little bit, but that's all I would take what you said. I would make it so she's there's this creature outside, or there's like a rumor or something of a creature, so she's staying inside, and then it turns out there's like to fit with Guillermo del Toro, there is a person in the house, and it's like a human who's a psycho and crazy, and then it's the creature similar to to kill a mockingbird, it's the creature that ends up saving her, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what I got down that's for. What, what do you what do you, you don't have chose, The rule I chose was to cast Polly Shore in this movie, and I would just make him like a stoner neighbor that like she tries to ask for help, but he's too fucking stoned to be of any use, and he's in the yeah. movie for like five minutes. Yeah, that's that's how you got to use Polly Shore. I think again, even with him, like when both people use that rule in our in. The original one, they had him in too big of a role. I, I actually, I think he was like the bartender in Tremors, which worked better in like Tristan's. I think um, I forget who did it, but yeah, Tristan. Yeah, because right. I remember you like Tristan's a lot, but there was also just a lot there, which means there was a lot for me to forget. So I think I went with Mason's. Yeah, coach. I think so too. Yeah, I think I texted you that I would have went with uh, um, Tristan on on the Tremors pitches, but again, his pitch was long, so he probably forgot half of what he was saying, which I would have done the same thing if I was 
judging. So, yeah, Tristan, take notes on how we keep talking about how you talk too much. Yeah, yeah, you're too long, Tristan. Now he you was know. the last episode. He was good. He was really yeah. I mean, he finally got his win. Yeah, he shortened his pitches and it, and it paid off for him. Um. All right. So yeah, that's really all I got from One of Stranger Calls. I've never seen the original. I saw the shitty remake of it, which was just like a PG thirteen mid two thousands horror movie like it was yeah. nothing special it was just like a scream ripoff at that point so yeah i've never great. seen it but i know enough of like pop culture to know what it is so i know that in the original one the kids definitely didn't i mean the kids died in the original one that's why the the scene is so scary but i know that in the remake i don't think that happened uh, makes sense As they were like well we got to make this like pg-13 so they didn't murder children so that's yeah, really Tristan it says I like saying lots of words, but I've learned to use short pitches. So, yeah, focus on those arguments, man. That's where you win. That's where I win. Yeah, not those. No. Yeah, we do. All right, Joe. Tremors. What do we got? Got nope, some notes. The thing. I skipped over one. Never mind. The thing. What do you got thing, for me? Eighty-five uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Wikipedia says it's an American science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter. It's based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There? It tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the eponymous thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates and imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any of them could be the thing. I'll go first, since... uh, well, I'll tell what they did before. Uh, Tristan, I remember he used Harry Potter actors, and he lost because he kept he talked about how his like had diversity and it told like different backgrounds, but then it also had just a bunch of fucking white British people. So I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I see that. And yeah. then Mason's had Pauly Shore, and I don't. Oh yeah, his was like set in the Bayou in like Louisiana yeah. and the Everglades. And, yeah, like, and then Pauly Shore was like the main, too much. he was like what? the main star, but he was like a dude from like Jersey or something like that. Yeah, Very random. Pauly Shore, who's the epitome of California from Jersey in your movie. But I still felt like the rest of his pitch and his cast were better. So I went with uh, that. That was one I felt like Mason didn't win that pitch. Tristan lost that pitch. Like yeah, I, I didn't think that. that Mason's pitch was great, but I think Tristan just kind of threw his away and it was just like ooh, you could have if you pitched just like a decent movie you could have beaten mason's but it was but once he started talking about diversity and it was just like you literally have the whitest cast ever like the <laughs> thing that people hit the harry potter movies and books for is lack of diversity so don't try to bring that cast in and then be like yeah my movie's about diversity <laughs> yeah so i don't know if you did but i actually wrote a full pitch for this one I did not. I didn't. So I'll go, I'll go first with my like little thing and then you can do your full pitch. Um, All I have for it is I would just use the cast of grownups and I'd kind of do a parody of the thing because I want to see the like long necked monster that uh, looks all scary in the original. I want that same thing, but with Rob Schneider's head. That's really (laughs) all. (laughs) Cause I think that would be funny. It'd be like the Rob Schneider from like South park. Um, That's just like Rob Schneider is a, a crab. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like his head on things. I think that would be funny. So that's all I really did with it. Cause I think the thing is, is a classic again. And like, I didn't have a full pitch to write for it. I had other ones I was more passionate about. Yeah. Tristan says my pitch for the thing got deleted by accident. So I was pulling it out of thin air. Well, there you go. Yeah. Could have done a better job. You know? Yeah. So 
uh, to rub a little salt in the wound for Mason, my director is Dan Trachtenberg, who directed 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he directed the episode of Black Mirror called Playtest that has uh, um, uh, Wyatt Russell. And okay. he, like, has the VR and stuff. And he goes into, like, the haunted house. But uh, earlier this week, uh, Mason was offered to be Dan Trachtenberg's assistant, and his schedule didn't allow for him to do that, so he had to turn it down. So, sucks to be Mason, I guess. Damn. Uh, Anyway, so the rule I used is a character made famous by Brad Pitt, and the character I chose was uh, the character of War Daddy from uh, Fury, the uh, David Ayer Tank movie. And this would essentially yeah. be kind of a prequel to that. And I essentially, I realized I don't really like this rule because Brad Pitt has like good and interesting characters, but they're very much like of their movie and they don't really fit in other movies. Yeah, exactly. That's so why I, I was like, like I, that's why I brought it back as a mental patient. It's like a, as like a cameo. So yeah. But like him and Moneyball is good, but like there's no point in putting like Billy Bean from Moneyball in another movie. I feel like that honestly with a lot of people, um, Unless they're specifically character actors. The problem with the rule is we always have like, even like Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like, what, how many roles are you really taking Leonardo DiCaprio and throwing him in, you know, into another movie? And same with Brad Pitt. Like, it'd have to be like, um, uh, like Gary Oldman. Like, he's played so many random characters where you could just take a small role he played and be like, all right, you know, you're in this now. And it's like different characters, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, Brad Pitt obviously playing War Daddy, and I didn't really uh, name these characters. I just like picked actors that I thought fit my movie, and the names aren't important. So we got uh, Jack Quaid from The Boys, Jesse T. Usher from The Boys. I, uh, Dan Trachtenberg also directed the pilot episode of The Boys, so I just tried to pick people he's worked with in the past. I have Wyatt Russell, uh, Bradley Cooper, and then uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Henry Golding as my group of world war ii soldiers because my movie is essentially a prequel to fury uh okay and then i have outside a german research base american troops are preparing to storm it and take it over they are hiding out in a large cavern when a german shepherd wanders in they check the dog and it seems fine uh jack quaid's character offers to go find food for the dog he and the dog wander off but only jack quaid's character comes back and he says the dog ran off uh, his character starts acting differently, and eventually the thing reveals itself as it slowly takes over the body of, bodies of the various members of the crew until only Wyatt Russell's character and Brad Pitt's character remain. As they uh, wait for reinforcements, neither know if the other is uh, who they look like or if they are the thing. And I didn't realize until after I'd written my pitch that Kurt Russell was the star of uh, the original thing, and I had Wyatt Russell as the star of my reboot and i was like oh i feel like that's a sign it's a sign too bad uh what's his name jack quaid's dad wasn't in it yeah dennis probably probably not too bad because dennis quaid sucks i have this hatred for dennis quaid that my brothers were like what are you even talking about i was like all his movies are terrible every movie he's in is bad i'm like it's not even his own fault just every movie is bad but i think he's like the most dead actor like oh, yeah, the most, sure. like this is for dad movies. We're gonna make, uh, you know, the rookie, most yeah. dad movie ever. I, I I liked the rookie as a kid, and then like when Disney Plus came out, I probably watched it like maybe like eight nine months ago. I'm like, this is literally three separate movies. Like every forty minutes, the plot <laughs> of the movie and tone of the movie changes. 
completely. Yeah, it's it terrible. three separate movies stitched together into one movie. Yeah, not great. Um, all right, so that's your pitch for it. I didn't really have a pitch for it. If I were to fight yours, I would just be like, well, why is it connected to Fury? But like, yeah, you had to use a Brad really Pitt character. Honestly, so. I needed yeah. a Brad Pitt role and like none of his roles really fit anything of these movies. And I was like, oh, I could just use his character in Fury and then set it during World War II to make it different. Yeah, that's really all you could do with it. So now we get to Tremors. Now that I have the right one. Yeah, Tremors. What do you so, got? Tremors got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've seen Tremors. That's about 20% too high. Like a good 65 to 70% is where Tremors, Tremors should be living. Uh, Wikipedia says it's an American horror comedy film. Uh, tired of their dull lives in the small desert town of Perfection, Nevada, repairman Val Mickey and Earl Bassett try to skip town. However, they happen upon a series of mysterious deaths and a concerned seismologist, Rhonda, studying unnatural readings below the ground. With the help of an eccentric survivalist couple, Bert and Heather Gummer, the group fights for survival against giant worm-like monsters hungry for human flesh. And so let's see what they did with it. Uh, Tristan uh, made his more of a Western and cast Polly Shore. That was his rule. And then Mm -hmm. Mason basically made a sequel to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh with brad pitt's character as the lead oh yeah that's kind of what they did what did you do did you write a pitch out for tremors i did um i felt like this one actually had a rule that i thought was obvious for it because it fit well um so what i'm doing with tremors is i'm setting it in space um so my directors i have uh it's two directors but they work together so it's christopher caldwell and zeke earl they did a little space movie called Prospect, uh, starring Pedro Pascal, which is really good. Um, so I didn't really give people character names or anything like that, but I have my group of astronauts and all the actors I put in it. So these are my actors. Pedro Pascal, uh, Sonoya Mizuno uh, from Devs, um, my favorite actress. David Oyelowo from uh, Selma. Um, Letitia Wright, uh, who's Shuri in Black Panther. Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, Troy in uh, Community, Rosa Salazar from Alita Battle Angel, um, Manny Jacinto from The Good Place, who's like the funniest part of that show. He's like the Asian guy. And then Billy Magnuson, who was in Aladdin and Game Night. Um, So those two characters kind of be like a little bit of the comedic relief um, in the movie because it's going to be Basically, uh, my movie is set in the future. Earth is dying and a team of space explorers are sent out to find a suitable new planet for humanity. Uh, They travel to a couple of planets, find them not equipped for life. They travel to a planet that the ship reads um, as a livable environment. When they arrive, they realize they can breathe. There is plant life. The weather is very similar to Earth's. I feel like they found the right thing. They decide to uh, spend some time um there to explore it and see if there's any other life forms on the planet well it turns out while camping overnight they're attacked by giant worm creatures from under the ground so now they're trapped on this planet because their ship gets destroyed with um giant worms where they thought they found suitable life they thought mission complete and now it's like tremors but in in space and on a different planet so that's my uh that's my version of tremors I think alien, alien worms make more sense than those being on Earth. All right. Well, my version is set on Earth because I wrote a full pitch too. 
Uh, my director is Dennis Duggan, who directed Grown Ups, because that's the rule I used, is I used the cast of Grown Ups. And essentially, all of the actors are playing versions of themselves. Uh, Adam Sandler is playing a version of himself that everyone, like all of his friends, worship. All of the actors are yes men and do whatever he says. Uh, Kevin James is grumpy and hates everyone else, and all he does is talk about King of Queens all the time. Uh, Chris Rock. <laughs> is super high on himself and second guesses the director constantly and talks about how he directed top five. Uh, David Spade and Rob Schneider play versions of themselves that are just super grateful to still be getting work. Uh, Maya Rudolph, uh, Maria Bello, and Selma Selma Hayek play basically their wives in the movie, not their actual wives, but like the plot of my movie is they're going to make a movie. And so they're actresses that are playing the wives in the movie, similar to the movie Grown Ups. And then Steve Buscemi is playing himself as the director of the movie they're going to make. So he's like a first time director. He's friends with Adam Sandler. And so he's directing this movie. And then the characters within the movie they're filming are on vacation in Australia when they get lost in the outback. When filming the outback scenes, giant worms attack their set and they must try to survive. It's the cast of Grown Up, so it's a typical over-the-top comedy, and that would be the plot of my movie. It's these actors playing themselves out trying to film a movie in Australia when worms attack their set and they're just fighting for survival. Interesting. Yeah, your movie sounds like a bad Adam Sandler movie, but that rule really sucks. That yeah. rule, there's not a time to do it. Like, I like your idea of the rule, except, I mean, your pitch, but not with the cast. Like, if Yours kind of sounds like Tropic Thunder with like a less capable cast and then they get attacked by worms instead yeah. of like soldiers. But I like the idea of like each character you kind of did with them. You kind of did the best versions of what each of them could be. Like I like Chris Rock a lot and I feel like he was just like him being like the, I'd laugh at him being like, Hey man, when I did top five, I did it this way. And Steve yeah. Buscemi is like, well, this isn't top five and you're not the director. <laughs> and then he's like, but that's a good idea. And then he like does it. But yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I, I think with yours, it goes more embraces the comedy. Mine has like no comedy. Mine has a little comedic relief because of the people in it, just the dialogue. But like Billy Magnuson's going to get eaten by those worms first. We're getting him killed. Uh, I, th- I thought it'd be hilarious if like the last person alive in my movie was like Rob Schneider. Just because he's the one people like like the least. So I think it'd be hilarious if he was the last one to survive. But he was He's also like, I'm gonna have this big now career now. Never work again because all of the people that get him work are dead now. Like Rob Schneider, the whole movie trying to keep Adam Sandler alive because he's like, without you, I won't have any work. Exactly. Yeah, I could see that. He's like the Matthew McConaughey in Tropic Thunder, like yeah. the overprotective manager. Yeah. It's like, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like you're, if we wrote that movie and they all agreed to it, it could be funny, but like they would never make it. Like they would never take themselves like they take, I feel like they take themselves seriously on those movies. And I feel like uh, uh, in my pitch too, I was thinking about this today. Adam Sandler would request Netflix in his uh, trailer just so he could watch himself in, un- un- in uncut gems every day. Yeah. yeah. And Hubie Halloween. Yeah. I haven't watched. Is that even good? I have not watched it. I-, I saw someone tweet about it and say it was funny, but like, I don't know. It's like a throwback Adam Sandler role. So maybe it's like yeah. one of his like Billy Madison type things, but I don't know if I can watch like 50 year old Adam Sandler doing like the water boy voice at this point yeah. in his career for two hours. But 
I'm, I might give it a shot. Whereas I've never watched any of his other Netflix movies. I might watch this one. Yeah. Um, I so I don't care. So my movie, I basically was just like, I'm going to pick like some of my favorite actors and just throw them into a movie, put them in space and I'm going to have worms attack them. So yeah, I, I, I like my could pitch. be like really good and really interesting, but it also could very easily be like a fucking like shitty B movie, like Transmorphers and fucking like Independence Day, like that. Not like Independence Day, Will Smith, but the like I can't remember the studio that just makes knockoff movies like Transmorphers. Yeah, I always forget. We were texting about it, and I always forget the name of the studio. But the um the thing with mine is like I feel like the only issue I have with mine, as far as arguing it, is. No one else in the world that I know has seen the movie Prospect. And I think that movie is awesome. I only found it because when we were doing our top 10 list, we did space movies and I found that movie and I was, and I watched it and I fell in love with it and it's really, really good. And I feel like these directors, the tone of that movie would be perfect for mine, but it'd be hard to convey that to someone who has never even heard of that movie. Yeah. You know? Like it, it's like, oh yeah, well my movie, you know, it would be taking it more itself more seriously, like Prospect, and like what the fuck is Prospect? Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, well it's a good movie, watch it. So I recommend Prospect. Anyone who hasn't seen it, Pedro Pascal is really good in it. All right. Um. So that's my version of Tremors. So what do we got next? Uh, next up is Paranormal Activity from 2007. Got an 83 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably a little too high because it's only scary and it's. Only the last five minutes of that movie are scary. Uh, Wikipedia says it's an American supernatural horror film. It centers on a young couple played by Katie Featherston and Micah Sloat who are haunted by a supernatural presence in their home. They set up a camera to document what is haunting them. The film utilizes found footage conventions that were mirrored in the later films of the series. It is known as being the most profitable film ever made based on the return of investment. Paramount acquired the movie for $350,000 and it made $193 million worldwide. Uh, and what did they Damn. do? Oh, uh, Tristan basically did what I did with Tremors for Paranormal Activity. He used the cast of Grown Ups and kind of made like a spoof of Paranormal Activity. And I was going to say, yours sounded like, I was I was trying to remember what pitch. I was thinking it was the Blob pitch, but that was Mason's with Grown Ups. Yours, it sounded just like Tristan's yeah, Paranormal Activity. make it serious. You have to use the cast yeah. of Grown Ups and make it essentially a spoof. I feel like that rule is done after this. After this, like definitely, we're getting rule back. No, screw that rule. That's a tough rule. And Mason set his in space, and uh, his sounded really good. It was like on the ISS or something. It was like a smaller enclosed uh, space, like area. And he used the found footage aspect too of the cameras that were on the ISS. And I didn't write a pitch, even though I think I liked my idea a lot. But the idea I was thinking of at the time when I saw these movies and these rules was like a bigger, like futuristic space station that had like hundreds of people living on it. And I would have had more involvement, but I liked his a lot idea a lot better of keeping it smaller and not just having like the few people on ISS. So I didn't write a pitch, but that's the rule I would have used is I would have done what Mason did and set it in space. All right. Makes sense. My, um, Paranormal activity. Uh, I set during the COVID nineteen lockdown. Okay. Um, because it's a found footage movie, so we can basically do that, but over Zoom calls. Um, so my director is Steven Cisco, who did Unfriended, Dark Web, um, which was a, a movie about you know Zoom and and whatever. And he wrote all the Grudge movies. He's a big writer. I think he's only directed the one so far, but we're uh 
We're going with that. And then uh, I don't have any cast because it's going to be unknown actors. That's the best way to do paranormal activity. It's going to be four couples are stuck at home during quarantine, so they decide to stay in a video conference call throughout the stay-at-home order. While a few of the couples are sleeping, one of the protagonists, protagonists witnesses strange events in the other's homes, chairs moving, bed sheets being thrown off of them, etc. The events get stranger and stranger until on a four-way split screen, um, the uh, part of each couple is possessed by ghosts and kill their partner. The movie ends with all four possessed people staring at each other in the camera. Um, so that's really my movie. It's kind of similar to the original, but instead of the two people, like the husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend, I think it's husband and wife, it's going to be four different couples. You're going to have that aspect of at the beginning, like they think one of the guys is really creepy for watching him overnight. But then he's like, no, 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 I swear the blanket moved. And they're like, no, man, like, they just kind of throw them off because they're like, why are you watching us sleep? And then you have that turn into weirder and weirder stuff happens. You get the little jump scares. You get the things moving around. Um, and then you have more couples to kind of play with and work with. And it's all basically over Zoom calls. So yeah, that's my right. version of it. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? I mean, I like your idea. I just was never a fan of like searching or like any of those type of Zoom call fucking computers. Yeah, I've I've never I've never seen any of them, and I'm not interested in ever watching them. So mine, I would defend passionately, but I would never watch it if yeah. it came out. I, yeah. I think Paranormal Activity sucks, but I think the thing about Paranormal Activity is it needs to be like a gimmicky type thing. Like the reason the first one was successful is because it was like you could convince people that it was, Oh, this actually happened. It was found footage. Like it was still like, I know there was like the Blair witch project popularized it, but this was like the biggest hit that was the found footage. This was like the next generation of like the Blair witch project for people who never heard of that. Um, And it made all that money. So like now I'm like, well, if you're going to do it, you got to do it gimmicky. And if you just do it found footage, it's too close. So throw it over zoom calls, whatever, make it, make it relevant to what's happening today. You know, I feel like they'll probably do that with the, if they make another paranormal activity movie now. Oh yeah, like I feel like we're about to get a lot of Zoom call movies, like searching and all those. Oh, hundred percent, we're gonna get those. Like we're one thousand percent, we're gonna get a flood. Like, how is Bad Boys for Life still the most highest dressing movie of the year? Like, I understand theaters have been shut down, and like that's wild. crazy. Because yeah, like, all this we didn't get any of the summer year. hits. If someone told you in January, hey, the highest grossing movie in 2020 is going to be Bad Boys for Life, you would have thought they were fucking stupid. Yeah, but if someone told me that we're going to be wearing masks for months and months at a time uh, in 2020, I'd be like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. And we are. So, you know, things happen. Yeah. You never know. I feel like the Bad Boys being the uh, highest grossing movie of the year is like the least surprising thing that's happened this year. In on a scale of like surprising, <laughs> on a scale of still surprising events, you're just like, okay, all right. So, next we have our final movie. This went a little quicker this episode because it's seven instead of nine. Yeah. Um, and so next is for this one or no? Slenderman, I do have a pitch for it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right. So, Slenderman, I'll go first because you had a pitch last time. Uh, Slenderman came out in 2018, got an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've never seen it. Uh, uh, seems fair from what I've heard. Uh, Wikipedia yeah. describes it as an American supernatural horror film. The story centers on the character of Slenderman, who began as an internet meme created on an internet forum in 2009. 
The story centers on three young girls summoning Slenderman, a thin, unnaturally tall humanoid with a featureless head and face, wearing a black suit after they believe he took their friend. Uh, so Tristan, well, they both use the rule of making it a Guillermo del Toro movie, uh, which doesn't really fit for me because Guillermo del Toro doesn't really like the creatures in his movie aren't the bad guy and aren't like Slenderman. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think that fit at all, and I was surprised that both of them picked Guillermo del Toro for their movie. Yeah, Tristan made his more gothic, where Mason uh, was more copied more of the real life story, and because of that, Tristan won. Because I feel like no one wants to watch a story that's like realistic in that way, and it, I don't know, it's just weird. And what well, was like he he threw some elements that were real, but then still made it fantastical, and it was like you can't do both. You can't do both things with it. Like yeah. keep it as far away from the original. Like the whole reason the first one was problematic and almost didn't get made is because the family was like, why are you making a movie gl- like glamorizing the character of Slenderman when our daughter was, you know, almost murdered because of it. Yeah. So, so if anyone's not keeping track, uh, the rule I use is I set mine during the COVID-19 uh, lockdown. Uh, my director is Andy Muschietti, who directed It and It Chapter 2, and he's going to direct the upcoming Flash movie. Uh, I didn't name my characters, but I have a dad, and he's going to be played by Bill Hader uh, from SNL, and he's done other uh, movies. He was in it as well. My mom is going to be Jessica Chastain. Uh, their son is going to be Finn Wolfhard, uh, and their daughter is going to be Sophia Lillis. Uh when the pandemic is first announced to have reached the U.S., a father in Los Angeles decides to take his family to their cabin in Northern California for a month. After the first month, the uh, numbers have only increased, so they stay a little longer. Eventually, their radios, phones, and computers start acting weird and glitching out. One day, the dad sees a tall figure out in the woods, but it's gone before he can get a clear view. Late at night, the dad hears a noise and goes out to check on it, only to come back hours later, but to him, he, he said it felt only like seconds. Uh, the dad, over time, becomes angry and irritable. Soon, other family members start seeing the same strange things, including a tall humanoid figure. However, the dad starts losing his mind. The mom wants to go back to L.A., but the dad refuses because COVID numbers are at an all-time high. Uh, and they, they, Again, they see more strange and weird things, and that night, the dad brutally murders his family and wanders off in the woods, never to be seen again. Weird. So what was the Slenderman aspect? The dad? Or does he no, see it? Yeah, like that. they would see it in the woods and it would like approach and come up to the house. And, Got it. Or up to the cabin. All right. Very strange. And like that, I mean, all I know about Slenderman is really from the Marble Hornets YouTube series where it would like glitch out technology and yeah. interfere with technology and all that. I don't know much about the real Slenderman, like the, the game. I know about the story. So like the real thing that happened. So I, um, is that all you have to say about yours? Yeah, that's all I had. All right, we'll get into mine. So I actually um, think what Mason did was he tried to go two different directions. He tried to involve the events of the real life stabbing. Um, and then he also made it a mystical creature. And it was just very weird. So what I'm going to do with it is make the story of the real event. It's going to be basically a biopic. Um, of the real event 
Um, and it's a different than anything he's done, but my director is going to be Ari Aster, who did Hereditary in Midsummer, because it's still a very brutal, violent story. And Midsummer, I didn't think was like, come get you scary, but it was just like disturbing. And I feel like he can kind of, and this is a very disturbing story for him to tell. My Peyton, which is the main girl, um, well, the, you know, victim, that's going to be played by Millie Shapiro, who's the girl in uh, Hereditary, who, spoiler alert, gets her head knocked off. Um, and then my two girls, uh, the two friends are Morgan and Anissa. That's played by McKenna Grace, who is in Gifted, and Annabelle Comes Home, and Daphne Keen, um, obviously the star of Logan. Um, so my movie is Two Friends, uh, 12-year-old girls become obsessed with the video game and meme character uh, Slenderman. They believe him to be real and think they uh, hear him speaking to them. They perform rituals to appease him but believe they have to make a human sacrifice for him. Uh, they befriend a girl at school named Peyton and start hanging out with her, but never tell her about Slenderman. Uh, one night they invite Peyton over for a sleepover and to play hide and seek in the woods. When Peyton was, uh, has her eyes closed, counting to 30, the girls pin her down and stab her 19 times. They leave her to die in the woods, but she crawls through the woods to a road where a cyclist played by Polly Shore. So that's my rule. Sees her and calls the police. <laughs> Very serious event, but he's not in it much. And Polly Shore just has to play a normal guy, um, which could be asking a lot. But, you know, he's just a guy. And then uh, Peyton survives um, the attack, uh, luckily. And the movie ends with text saying that the girls were found not guilty due to mental disease, but were sentenced and committed to a 25 to 40 years in a mental institution. And Peyton returned to school uh, later that year. So it would be like the text screen ending of what, really happened, you know? So I kind of shoehorned Polly Shore in here, but I had to do it because I wanted to pitch a movie that I would uh, really be interested in seeing. I know it's a brutal event and uh, the family didn't want the movie to be made, but I feel like if it was a story telling the actual events instead of, you know, uh, like glamorizing Slender Man as a character, maybe they'd be more on board for it. But if not, fuck them anyway, we're going to make it. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, Ari Aster, again, like Midsommar was really creepy and, and great. And um, we're not going to have like the psychological tricky moments, but we're going to have the, you know, little girls, they uh, they think they need to make a sacrifice. It's a really horrifying story. All this is a true story. Um, but, you know, we'd kind of have them befriend the girl at school. They think, you know, they, oh, no one will miss her. Like she doesn't really have any friends. We're going to become her only friend and then stab her. So that's a little different than what actually happened. But it would make sense more for the movie. Um, and it's just such a creepy story. Like I think it's something that needs to get told. It is unfortunately like kind of cinematic, like Foxcatcher was like Foxcatcher is a very sad story, but you know, you want to see things like that kind of get put into movies because then at least it kind of spreads light on the events. I never knew anything about Foxcatcher before that happened. And I didn't know that, you know, he was murdered like that. And having this story, like I don't think people really know it. And this would maybe, put an end to kind of uh, making Slenderman like this fun little horror movie character and be like, yo, like this serious thing actually happened. Like this is fucked up. So here's the story of it. So that's, that's what I did with it. Um, Pauly Shore, hopefully just no one recognizes him. Uh, Tristan says, I like Johnny's pitch. I agree. If you're going to bring in the real story, you should just directly adapt it. And I think B actors like Pauly Shore try to get comebacks by playing normal dudes decently. Yeah, I, I mean, you, he's literally in it for, uh, basically, he's on his bicycle. No one will probably even recognize him. And then he sees the little girl crawling through the, you know, onto the road, all bloodied up, and then calls the police. So he doesn't really have to do much. 
I think that's how you have to use these roles again. Like with Charlie Sheen, he was in my Ferris Bueller pitch for, you know, I think my five my seconds. Argument, my argument against yours, like Charlie Sheen is Bueller or like the, not as Bueller, but as like the teacher, like that, that's the thing I can like understand. Like he's in it. He has lines. It's kind of like an homage to the original with yours. I, my thing I would hammer is like, you're trying to bury Polly Shore in this movie and disguise it. And you have a brute, a scene that's super brutal. And then boom, Charlie or Polly Shore appears and I feel like that would directly take me out of the movie where I would put Polly Shore is potentially like he's the teacher of their class where they first were like she first meets those those girls. And it's yeah. like it can be a more lighthearted scene and then having Polly Shore isn't going to throw you off instead of like a scene where we just watched a girl get brutally fucking stabbed 19 times, crawl through the woods and then boom, Polly Shore. So what I would actually do with it, that's a good point. I would have Polly Shore as the teacher and then also have him the guy on the on the bicycle. So it's more cinematic and it's a throwback like, oh, we know this character and maybe he's a neighbor and he sees her in the road. So then you know who he is and he like does it. That's not what actually happened. It, it wasn't like a teacher. It was just a random guy. But if I did have him in it, maybe I would do that. Yeah, you're right about the teacher thing. But then I could have him be like, oh, this recognizable face finds her. Yeah. Um, so we'll do that. We'll go with that. He's their teacher. He's in a couple scenes, so he doesn't completely take you out of it when he's just like bicycling. Yeah. Um, like if and he's not like in it very much. Someone that wasn't like that goofy. If it was like like Chuck Norris, like that's a rule that we have upcoming. Like yeah. if you, you, I don't think you need to set up Chuck. I'm granted he's 90 years old. He ain't gonna be cycling much, <laughs> but he's someone that could pop in in a serious moment, and it's not gonna completely like take you out but like but but i do think but i do think you're gonna but i think what the fuck is this i think the problem is that i mean yeah we say oh paulie shore is gonna take us out of the movie if he just popped up but i'd say 90 percent of the world and most of the people seeing this movie no one knows who paulie shore is so they just think he's a random guy i think chuck norris more people recognize and that would actually be distracting for more people because they'd be like why the fuck is chuck norris here like, oh, yeah. you know, like, it, like, it's like, he's called out obviously of it, but he's cameo and dodgeball. Like even from that, he's more famous than Pauly Shore probably has been since the nineties. So, you know, if you see this movie now and you're 16, 17 years old, you go see it. And Pauly Shore is the guy at the end. No one in the world is like, Oh, that's Pauly Shore. Except like a very minor yeah. um, part of it. Like us, like we would be like, why the fuck is that yeah, Pauly Shore? Comment that's li- weird. Comment live, comment on the replay. Do you know who Pauly Shore is? And and would you recognize his face if he wasn't doing his weird little, you know, character? Because he would just be a normal guy. He wouldn't be doing the, like, surfer guy. Yeah, the weasel. He wouldn't be doing Encino Man in here. So, Um, yeah, so that's my pitch. I just wanted – basically, I needed to shoehorn in a rule where I could do the real pitch for that movie. Because, again, like yours, like, I think no matter what, even if it's a great director, even if it's a good story, like if it's a Slenderman movie and it's actually about the character and it doesn't have to do with the real event, like I'm not interested and I don't think it ever gets made again. So I, I think with um, with mine, you could do the biopic of it and I, and I would something that I'd be interested in seeing and, and a story you could get out to the world. So that's how I would fight yours. Um, and then obviously well, it would take me like down on the Pauly Shore thing. Even before like that murder case. Like I know you maybe haven't heard of it, but like there was a- Well, he was big- he yeah. was popular in, in 2009. He became like a big thing. And then the stabbings happened in like 2014, but they were obsessed with the character that was already popular. 
So now it's like, it's just tough to, you either have to pretend that didn't happen and just ignore it or make a story about it. So it's like tough to make a, a story and then be like, yeah, but like also this one thing happened and a kid almost got killed. But I think it's an incredible story that she survived. I think it's an incredible story that she like willed her way. Like she crawled through the forest to get to the road after having 19 stab wounds. There was a stab um, that was like a millimeter away from the artery of her heart. So she was like a millimeter away from just bleeding out and dying. Um, I think it's an incredible story. It'd be a very violent, it'd be a very disturbing movie to watch, but I think that story could get out there and, um, you know, be a, be a good movie, be a very cinematic uh, movie. Yeah. It's hard. Cause like, I mean, obviously we're not like fighting, but that last pitch, the slender man pitch is the one I was like the least passionate about of the day. That and the thing are like the two, if I yeah. was like, fighting were like the two going in where i'm like i just hope his sucks because these are the ones i do <laughs> care about my mine was probably out of the ones that i actually wrote out my least passionate one was probably um paranormal activity i just thought that was like a, a way to do it but i think in terms of like being passionate about pitches i really liked my my jack and jill my slender man and um my uh to kill a mockingbird i liked those Probably yeah, the like most. Kill a Mockingbird, my Jack and Jill, and then my uh, uh, the Exorcist. Yeah, yeah, your Exorcist one was good. Um, yeah, so those, that was that was kind of our episode for this week. It wasn't a debate. Uh, we took a little break from uh, movie changeup, but next week we'll be back with a Halloween themed episode, and Joe and I will be going at it once again. Yeah, hopefully if the audio levels were off or anything, hopefully we'll have it figured out by next week. I don't know. I got to figure out why my headphone jack isn't working. Uh, but yeah, this is something what we I think we're going to try to do maybe like once or twice a month, depending on when we're not competing, when we uh, have time. Because we'll probably, I think at that point, maybe try to do it in addition to the regular episode that week. I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have... Um maybe some other people on this one too, and just be like, all right, what would you have done? Have like Bobby on here or Tristan or someone. And, and I think it's interesting in the future. We'll probably do one episode at a time if we're doing it more often. Um, yeah, Cause we, we still, I figured, I figured, I figured today would be a shorter episode, like an hour or something. And then I'll, and then we pitched eight movies and I was like, Oh, well it's the, it's two hours, an hour an episode basically, which is fine. It's just longer than I thought it would have would have been, but I think we had some good content. I liked our pitches um, back and forth. So, and I didn't have to get so passionate and yell. So it's probably quieter in my house today. Yeah. Yeah. From now on, we'll probably just do like one episode and make it like an hour long thing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Be like kind of a little break for the week. Um, but yeah, this was fun. This was a good idea. We got a lot of fun things coming up. We got obviously our Halloween themed episode next week. Um, Battle to the death between Joe and I. And then uh, we got award season coming up. We're going to do. Have we talked about that at all? I don't know if we've mentioned that on our show, but we're going to, we're, Joe and I are going through and um, listening back to old episodes and creating categories. And sometime in either December or January, we're going to do an award show and present, you know, best pitch of the year, best fighter of the year, worst pitch of the year, and have a bunch of categories and have some fun nominees and, and just kind of do an episode um, that's kind of a bonus episode. That'll be like our basically finale to what we're calling season one, kind of a wrap up on, you know, Except year one of this. After our Halloween, I think we have three more weeks of regular episodes, and then we're going to take a hiatus over the holiday break just because it's hard enough to schedule four people 
when yeah. we're not all that busy. And then once you start having people having Thanksgivings and Christmases and all that, it's just going to be more of a pain to schedule people. Yep. So we'll start back up probably mid-January. And we're going to start back up hopefully with an eight-person tournament. And uh, whoever comes out of that tournament, the winner will be the first ever movie change-up champion, which is definitely yeah. going to be me. First, first tournament champ. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm going to take Joe down next week and in our in our future endeavors. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Joe's already written out his pitches for next after, week. After next week? What would you say? I think we have three more weeks of matches after next week. Yeah. Can't wait for our Thanksgiving-themed episode. Yeah. It's just only planes, trains, and automobiles. Seven times. And Adam's Family Values. Is that a Thanksgiving movie? Yeah. There you go. I gotta rewatch the. I gotta rewatch the Adams Family. I realized today because I'm trying to pitch that for next week and I don't remember enough about it. So we'll see. I might do some rewatching in the next few days. I'm out of TV shows, so. Gotta rewatch Nosferatu for next week. Yeah, that's that's definitely one. I mean, I have it on DVD. Same. On my like, you, we both have that 85 like horror movie set or whatever it is, hundred horror movies. So. Yeah. Let me just read off next week's movies and rules and shit. Give people a little taste. Yeah, read them off. Give them a taste so they can kind of prep for it if anyone's watching. And then um, yeah, we'll, so we'll battle. Viewers uh, can think about what they want to do or what they would like do if they had the opportunity. I will figure that out. And nope, wrong app. All right. I'm just going to keep on talking. Just right, keep chatting away. Go. I got it. So uh, we have the Adams Family, The Crow, Hocus Pocus, Ghostbusters, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Nosferatu, The Purge, and our seven rules. One must be a whodunit. One must include Chuck Norris. One must be set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One must be directed by and... Uh, star four nominees from the different categories of the 91st Academy Awards. One must be a frat pack movie. That's like your Will Ferrell, Jack Black, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn type of people. One must be cast as a 1970s movie. And one must be the cast of another movie on the list. And so that's that's what we're working, me and Johnny are working with next week. I believe Alex is our judge and Tristan is our consulting judge. Yeah, part of me misses when we just used to pick our own rules um, because then we would just be like, all right, resurrect a director's career, resurrect an actor's career, put well, this random guy in one movie. But now it's like, oh, God, I don't know what the hell to do with these. So we'll see yeah, what happens. We all, we always piece it together. Random, so. Yeah. What? So we'll see. I got nothing else for the people. Again, I'm Johnny Dupe. You're oh, yeah. uh, current uh, number one in the standings. I'm Joe Fricky and y'all Y'all have a good night and get ready to watch me be the first ever movie change-up champion in a few months. Yeah, we'll see about that.